This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. Hey, it's 6.04. Welcome in. Another edition of the opening kickoff. And just like the Celtics, we're still here. We're here for the next three hours right here on the sports station WNSP and WNSP.com. Thanks for hanging with us. Mr. Shervanian, sir, what you got cooking today? Quite a bit cooking today. I am looking forward to a full three hours of show. We got pretty good guests lined up too, Mark. But I wanted to, uh, before we get to the NBA game, uh, as I stated before the show started that I with Nick Saban back in town in Tuscaloosa and he just got back from his trip to Rome and I know a lot of people were surprised and I was too because normally he takes a vacation in Georgia at his lakefront home and so forth or his home away from home but he got back from Rome and there was a lot written up about this and some of the people who obviously had a chance to recognize him and so forth so I thought we would ask our our listeners to get on the app or if they want to call uh, I'd like to hear some of their experiences if they've ever on their travels uh, or in a restaurant run across a celebrity whether it's sports whether it's uh, movies whether it's tv personalities or whether it's politicians or some world leader you had a chance to run into and maybe go up and say hello or get an autograph from or even take a selfie as some did with uh, Nick Saban but we hope to have some comments from Nick on his uh, travels also about the state of college football of course with the uh, spring meetings coming up next week he said many of those issues he hopes will be addressed next week you mentioned about the uh, Celtics uh, and they did win game four Jason Tatum had a good fourth quarter and was instrumental in uh, saving that game 116 to 99 but I I have this thought too Um, and again this has never happened in the NBA mark where two finals have wound up four games to none teams are 150 and zero that's the stat about trying to win you know four in a row after falling behind 3-0 but here's the deal now they go back to Boston and they haven't done well at home I believe I think they're a game under 500 or at least 500 playing playoff games at home and they better win that game because as embarrassing as it could be to go four and out in when you're the favorite team but then if they go back and lose at home that to me would be almost as disastrous if they lost four straight to go and lose in front of their home crowd the next three games two of the three if they play them are in boston so if they can get game five then that puts all the pressure on miami in game six so do you think i mean i don't There's something about avoiding a sweep, though. So I'm like, I'm thinking for Boston fans, it's still better to win last night and lose in Boston than it is to get swept in four, even if it's on your opponent's floor, right? Well, I I can understand that, but I still think, yeah, it's embarrassing to lose four in a row. No question about it. When you're the heavy favorite, it is very embarrassing. But if they go back and lose another home game in front of your home crowd and you let Miami beat you at home, I would say that would be to the 1A, one, just 1B one or something. I, I just think that would be disastrous for them. I'm not saying it's worse than losing four in a row, and I, and I, I agree with you on that. But if they go back and lose at home again, ouch. 
So the, actually, it's interesting you made that point because I was thinking, you know who I really felt bad for last night were the Miami Heat fans. You know, they, they buy up these tickets. They're expensive. You want to see your team celebrate. You got to feel pretty good about going into last night's game. You got game four tickets. It's 3-0. You're on your home floor. You're ready to lock this up. Everybody thinks you're going to win. And you're one win a win from, you're one win away from the NBA Finals, and your team loses. You know what? I'll give you a good example now. I, this did not directly affect me, but it directed my son and my brother years ago. And, and I I see where you're coming from on this. So okay, so years ago, the uh, New Jersey Devils are hosting Colorado, Game Six of the Stanley Cup Finals, yeah. leading three games to two. And I was able to secure, I paid for them, but I secured very expensive tickets. My son was up in New Jersey, called my brother that morning, said, Bruce, I, I just got two tickets. Can you take my son or your nephew to the game? He said, you bet. I mean, game six of the Stanley Cup Finals. There is nothing, I wouldn't say nothing, but it's one of the great moments if you can wrap up a Stanley Cup and the celebration afterwards and on your home ice. You know what happened? They not only lost, they got shut out and wound up losing the series in seven games. So yeah. I don't know if that would fit into the what you're alluding to, but I know that came as a huge disappointment that not only did they lose on home ice on game six, leading three games to two, they didn't even score a goal. Right. Yeah. That's got to be the toughest part. And, you know, we don't around here have a whole lot of opportunity uh to go see a series or, you know, basketball, baseball, whatever. So I don't know how many of you have been involved in a situation like that, but that's got to be tough because you're, you know, when you decide, look, and I'm not talking about the guy that has tickets to every game, right, that has more money than any, but you're picking a game to go see and you want to go see that deciding game and then to be on the wrong end of that, that, that's pretty tough. I hope for the NBA's sake that Boston could extend it further. I don't know if they can come from behind three games to none. Obviously, it'd be a fabulous story because right now the story in the NBA is LeBron James. I mean, from all angles. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Rob Palenka, the GM, says we'll meet, we'll talk. Uh, it's up to him whether he wants. And now they're taking odds as to what team he'll play next year. Uh, <laughs> and that's what really has got me. Now, he's under contract to the Lakers for next year, Mark, but there's a there, there's a, a website well actually not a website yahoo sports came out and said uh, there's a chance that he could wind up with the warriors because he's always said he wants to play with steph curry you know it in in sports especially with the nba it seems like well you know you're in a conversation yeah someday i'd like to play with somebody and then it gets okay two years later well he said two years ago he wants to play with steph curry now is the opportunity well that would have to you know you'd have to have a trade or something like that so the first thing to gather in is whether he wants to play or not and th this becomes the narrative now the storyline in the nba i kind of hope boston wins just to prolong it a little bit so you don't as we talked about that eight-day gap between the finals and then maybe push it to maybe four or five days and it's not so bad yeah but then the narrative becomes oh look how well rested denver is and you oh, know yeah. the, the heat or whoever I, i'm still assuming it's the heat at this point uh well, will be a, it's a, it'll be an uphill battle, and it just wasn't fair, and you know the whole thing. Well, not only that, but you're playing up in Denver. How bad was the heat last night? Terrible. They were terrible. Well, it, it came down to, and, and 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 we went back to what 
everybody thought that the Celtics were a much better three-point shooting team than Miami, but that wasn't the case in the first three. But yesterday, the Celtics hit 18 out of 45, and I think the Heat were like 8 out of 32. There's your difference in the game. And, of course, Tatum did score in the fourth quarter and assisted in a 12-0 run late in the game. So you figure that maybe – Maybe, you know, eventually they'd find their their tracks and they'd, they'd find their whatever they call mojo and get out there and have a good game. Now they got to go back in front of their home crowd and continue doing that to prolong the series. So I hope they get game five. And then if, if they get back to Miami for game six, Miami wins. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I think the. Um, well, first of all, I thought Boston played well defensively, but, you know, Jimmy Butler wasn't good. And um, I don't know. It, it's it's such a it's such a difference of strategies going from the Eastern Conference to the Western Conference. The Western Conference, Denver runs this high pick and roll, and they've got all this movement around the pick, and there's all these different options we talked about yesterday. And the Heat, man, they just go ISO. They just go ISO, and if they score, great. And if they don't, uh, okay. So it's just such a different. Uh, well, way of attacking. Yeah, game four just reverted to what people thought would be all along, that Boston was a better team. But up to the first three games, Miami had defensed well, closed off the passing lanes, made it difficult for Boston to get into its uh, rhythm. Uh, that wasn't the case yesterday. But again, you get come down to I, – I hate to just look at one little thing, but the three-point shooting. Boston yeah. hit him and I Miami kept, didn't. I kept yelling at Jimmy Butler, stop shooting the ball. Like somebody else shoot the ball. I was like, at one point, Dan, I don't think you heard me, but at one point, I think I asked because uh, I was watching with the kids. I was like, does does anybody else shoot the ball on this team? Like, do, are they allowed to? I think he had missed like three or four straight, including a, like a little four footer. Like, like, maybe, dude, sometimes it's just not your night. And that's true. And so then, who do you point to? Again, they're not a gifted team. Everybody knows that. They don't have a bunch of all-stars. They have a bunch of undrafted players. Who do you turn to? Gabe Vincent, save us. Uh, who, who are you going to go to? Um, they're, they're just, they don't have many options. And to that, you know, Butler is the, the mainstream. And if he's not hitting, then the pressure falls on some of the other players who are basically have never really been put into that position before. And I, you know, I, look, look, I give Miami a lot of credit for what they've done and, and, and still believing they're going to win this series. And like you said, then Denver will be well rested. Not only that, when you go to Denver, you have to deal with that altitude up there too. And it's not an easy thing to do. We'll, we'll talk to Dale Osborne about that, Mark, and, and see. And I think we, you brought it up one time with him about playing up in Denver, the difference. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we got a lot going on. We threw out some, a lot of stuff there in the first segment. We encourage you to join us and uh, give us a call at 694-1055. John Garcia set to join us at 630. Uh, Dale Osborne, you mentioned he'll join us at 7. Jake Peavy, former Major League Baseball pitcher, set for 730. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide at 8 o'clock. A little rain yesterday. It wouldn't be the SEC baseball tournament without a little rain. Uh, but the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, got the win. And Richie Riley, the South Alabama basketball coach, set to join us at 8.30. I wanted to ask you a question, and if you want to ponder it, he just made a hire, an assistant coach, Riley Conroy, I think. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Conroy? They're from New Orleans. He went to Jesuit High School. I saw that. That's, uh, that's my alma mater. Uh, is, that, is it really? Yeah. The only I, I was curious is he's about like, that. He's like... Did you know his dad, Ed, who's coaching no. Citadel? No. Do you know who uh, who's related? Who they're related to? The famous author Pat Conroy, who's passed away, but 
a great Santini, books <laughs> like that, huh? No. No, you don't remember all that kind of stuff? I have. Uh, I do not know. I'm unaware of his family tree okay. or anybody but, uh, related but to that, him. He went to your high school. Or I went to his, depending on how you look at it. But yes, and we were not there at the same time, I can assure you. I, I might have been just a wee bit older. So, um, but yes, that is that is a fact. 694-1055. Here comes your scoreboard, your traffic, and your weather for the day. It's the opening kickoff. We're just getting started right here on the sports station, WNSP. Uh, this is Jim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP. That affects everything. Tatum, he'll put up a three. Got it! And he knew there was no way that Vincent was going to be able to contest that. Yeah, that was after Vincent twisted that. It came down on his ankle, man. They replayed it like four times. That was not... Uh, oof. Yeah, that thing's going to swell up like a balloon. But yeah, uh, welcome back in. The opening kickoff, Mark and Lee, Triple G. We're in the studios at WNSP. You know, there used to be a time when the NFL did not want to be associated at all with college football from the standpoint of adopting any rules that college football had the nfl felt they were far superior to that we don't we don't need to play college rules well once again uh they've gone the college football route and they have come up the nfl owners are meeting this week and for one year they're going to try the kickoff rule where you can fair catch inside the 25 yard line and then bring it out to the 25 you like it um what I don't like is a bunch of people sitting in a room telling us that there have been too many injuries on one of the more exciting aspects of the game, so we're going to tweak it. So they tweaked it, and now it's coming out that concussions are up in the same place that they're trying to make safer for your average football player. So they continue to tweak it. So really, if they had not left, long story short, had they just left it alone, Lee, and we just played concussions, we wouldn't have as many concussions today if they would have just left it alone. One of the uh, op- well, m- some of the opposition to this, uh, this was not a clean cut thing. That's why they're only going to adopt it for one year to see where it goes. The opposition to doing this was that the feeling was there might be a lot of these squib kicks. Yeah. And that, of course, would result in a lot of collisions and things like that. I don't know if that's going to be the case. So basically, as college football players inside the 25 can fair catch it, it comes out to the 25. That's what the NFL is going to do this coming year. They re- it, it feels like we're just getting to the point where we're going to eliminate kickoffs altogether. Um, because when you think about every rule they've done, some team or coach has found a way to maybe take advantage of that rule, whether it's a sky kick, as you point out, the squig kick now. And it's it's chess, not checkers. So they make a ruling. Players and coaches kind of find a way to make the most of that rule. The league doesn't like it, so they tweak the rule again. And we go back and forth on this. At some point, they're just going to take it out. I like the kickoff. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily – well, let me rephrase. I like the kickoff return. <laughs> I don't like the kickoff because, as you know, you know, nine times out of ten, we're just watching touchbacks anyway. And if that's the point we're going to get to, why not just skip it all together, put it on the 25, and save some time. Take a take a 
uh, a page out of the Major League Baseball script and let's shorten some games. Let's not kick it off, touch back, go to another commercial, and then come back and play first and 10 from the 25. Let's just put it there and, and, and get on with it. You really want, if the NFL really wants to stop any of these collisions, just line the ball up at the 50 and tell your kicker to kick it in the end zone, which for the most part they do anyway. But I think we'll see returns by, there's players out there who'd like the return. They want to return. They want to go the distance. They, you know, we're not going to get many of those touchdowns, but when they happen, it's uh, certainly a highlight reel. And so, you know, a lot of the conversation the last 12, 18 hours or whatever has been about spring league rules and would the in, would the NFL be willing to condescend, for lack of a better term, to to that level, to stoop to that level, to take a rule from a, 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 an inferior league? I, I'd say they better, they better, because you're taking all the explosive plays out of the game. Um, See, I still think the punt return is. I don't have stats to back me up on this because I don't study it, but I still think the punt return is more dangerous than the kickoff return. Where you leave one guy yeah. isolated back there, and the collisions that occur. I think so too. I do. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna go with the kickoff return, which I I'm with you, I'd rather not have this rule, and I'd rather see kickoff returns. But that's because of you know I like pro football, and and obviously the kickoff returns are a big part of it. The chance that he might go the distance, he might get a good gain. I think who among us doesn't like to see a player break out and only the kicker is in his way, yeah. right? Right. All right. No, so I, my guess is the feeling is when you when you kick off as opposed to punting though, you have two two sets of you have two teams, two sets of players that are literally looking to knock each other's block off. Like they're going to make contact. One's got a block, one's got to shed a block, like the whole deal. Whereas on a punt, you have all of one team essentially trying to chase this one guy who's not looking for contact. So you're 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 not getting that head-on collision more times than not. He's trying to get away. I, that's my guess. Um, someone suggested they eliminate all the body armor, all the all the padding. Um, you'd be less likely you'd be to like playing rugby then. Right, but you'd be less likely. It's kind of that whole mentality about the the helmet. If you didn't have the the helmets that were so safe, you wouldn't see guys. Per, you know. Um, using themselves as missiles and launching themselves headfirst at people. I think there's some truth to that. I mean, if you knew that your the the stuff that you were wearing didn't protect you as well, you wouldn't be so reckless with your body. I think the punt returner. I'm not sure if I would put the punt returner or the receiver over the middle most exposed to an injury. Yeah. You could you could make an argument for either, but I still feel for the punt returner because usually there's nobody back there with them. In the past, way back, they used to have two back there. One guy would say, hey, take it, don't take it, or something, or at least try to block. But today, it's usually one guy back there, basically on an island, and then he's got to not only field the ball without fumbling, but if he decides to return, guess what? I got what? it. I got it. On all kicks and punts, new rule in the NFL, what do you think? The ball must change hands at least twice on the, for the receivers. So you got to do it, hand it off or throw a lateral or something. Thank you. Thank you. I'm making up the business cards. NFL Commissioner and Rules Officer Mark Heim at your service. Can't do it just once because then they'll just hand it off as soon as they catch it. Got to be twice. Anything to make the game more exciting. That would do it. I've just won the lottery. Let's make that happen. Johnny Garcia is next. Stay with us.
You know, it's something to say about the brand, an iconic brand, Crimson Tide. You get Roll Tide in Venice, Florence, Rome, and the Amalfi Coast. So it's everywhere I went. <laughs> That's Nick Saban uh, ask, uh, being uh, asked questions about his time in uh, Italy. What was interesting, you can't really see on the radio, was that during that little impromptu press conference you could hear all these voices off camera and all these reporters kind of like glaring at these people that were off camera to like basically shut up because you know nick saban was speaking um i'm not sure who it was uh it, it could have been somebody talking with miss terry for all we know but it was it was funny to kind of watch these people like come on we're trying to get the sound bite here yeah, Nick was uh, front and center back from Italy, Nick's Kids Foundation, and obviously he's the guest speaker, but his wife really does most of the work there and uh, has all the financial details and so forth. But at least we know that Coach Saban back in town. We'll hear some more clips from him. And it was I was fascinated by some of the uh, stories about people who bumped into him, let's say, yeah. or, or recognized him on the streets of Rome. Uh, John Garcia is back on with us. Uh, John, of course, uh, recruiting coordinator at one time for SI. But, John, I understand you got a new gig now. Good morning. How are you today? Hey, good morning, fellas. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Getting back to my roots with the day-to-day -day recruiting coverage now at Rivals.com. I'm, I'm commanding the, uh, the Southern approach there. So excited to get uh, more heavily involved in the um, states of you know Florida, Georgia, certainly Alabama uh, among uh, my coverage territory. So very excited to to get back on this side of the recruiting game for sure. John, you travel a lot. You go and you you look at some of these prospects that are being recruited. Can you recall uh, meeting a celebrity, whether it be in sports, politics, whether it be uh, TV, movie fame, anybody like that that you bumped across or ran across and were pretty excited about or, or no? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, we all we all grow up, you know, watching certain certain players, you know, so, you know, seeing Emmett Smith, you know, going through uh, the process as the father of a recruit was really cool a couple cycles back. His son, of course, uh, is over at Stanford. Ditto for Edron James. You know, I was at a random spring game a couple years ago, and there was Edron James on the sidelines just taking it in. His son wasn't even on the field that day. So kind of those impromptu run-ins are always fun. Uh, especially when you see one generation kind of looking through to the next. Uh, so it's not necessarily a starstruck type of scenario, uh, but it's just cool to see, I guess, just the human element of these superstars, celebrities, Hall of Famers uh, that are just trying to evaluate and, and watch ball just like we are uh, at our level. So uh, just kind of those random impromptu run-ins have been fun uh, over the years in, in my career for sure. I know you obviously, your emphasis, you target high school kids, but obviously a big story in this state is what Auburn has done, 21 transfers. And I was in this conversation yesterday because I, I have no clue, and I don't think anybody really does. So 21 players coming in, is this going to be a big improvement to the team? Do you know many of these players? Are, are these guys that are going to – we had one, one Auburn reporter on this week who, who raised expectations from a four-win season to eight or nine. Do you, do you see something like that happening? <laughs> 
Look, I think anytime you bring in, look, this is an offensive laden program under Hugh Freeze. I think we can all understand that. And when you bring in a lot of players in that light, yeah, the expectations going to rise uh, to a certain degree. You know, I, I love obviously the addition of Peyton Thorne from an experience standpoint at the quarterback spot. I don't think Freeze would have targeted him if, if he didn't see an immediate upside and or upgrade over the current crop of, of quarterbacks that Auburn had uh, on its roster. And then you look around the quarterback position, and they brought in several wide receivers, uh, including Shane Hooks from Jackson State, who you know was a commit to Ole Miss in the portal. And then he flips to Auburn, 6'5", 200 pounds, massive catch radius, massive body, uh, who I think is going to be a boundary type of wide receiver and, and a almost an outlet uh, for the quarterback, for Peyton Thorne, uh, starting this season. And then you look at some of the other skill guys, there's, there's volume at the wide receiver spot, and then there's uh, some impressive uh, speed elements brought in to, to supplement the size and experience of, of Hooks and Thorne uh, in particular. You know, I love Brian Batiste, the running back from South Florida. He is an absolute burner. So you think of a Hugh Freeze offense, you think of spread elements, you've got to have a trigger man who can play point guard, you've got to have big physical wide receivers like Freeze had at Ole Miss, he's checked that box, and you got to have speed. you got to keep the defense honest from a rushing perspective. So I know there's there's some other stuff going on at the running back position at AU, but some of the transfers can help supplement that, especially early in the season if, if there's a bit of a delay with Hunter and some of these other guys. So, yeah, I think offensively you like the direction Auburn has gone from a talent acquisition standpoint. But the key for me is it's the SEC West. So it's very hard to push those winning totals higher and higher with a first-year coaching staff but if last year in college football taught us anything you could turn things around pretty quickly you look at washington you certainly look at tcu which went from five and seven to, to the national championship and yes those conferences have easier roads but you if you bring in that offensive laden head coach who revamps the quarterback room and, and brings in skill talent thereafter there could be quick progression with that type of unit so i do think Auburn has utilized the portal incredibly well, and a lot of these new faces will be the key guys on both sides of the ball for the Tigers. Uh, so we got to ask you, uh, I know you're familiar with, maybe not so much the cases you are, the recruit, but uh, freshman defense back Alabama Tony Mitchell pled no contest Wednesday to felony marijuana possession charges. I think he's going to get some probation and drug counseling. Uh, stories like this still surprise you? Or no, and, and the reason I bring this up is because he that news just came out, and now Georgia has had a, a fourth player related uh, or uh, arrested mm -hmm. on driving related charges. So two questions: Does in, in all your years covering this, does this does this kind of stuff still still surprise you? And two, does this ultimately impact recruiting in any way for either program ever? Yeah, I'll start with the latter. And yeah, I don't think it impacts recruiting. I think these situations are very much case by case and I think oftentimes these are examples of just this massive spotlight on on these teenagers which is inevitably going to have a whole lot of ups and downs within it um, obviously there are different levels of severity to, to some of these legal issues that these kids have, have run into uh, but it doesn't surprise me you know I just think by volume just the odds you know you're going to run into certain uh, situations they just become so public and, and so talked about when you have an Alabama script A logo or that block G logo attached to it, uh, and understandably so. These are two of 
the most visible brands, I would say, in all of sports, much less in college sports. Uh, so naturally, that that microscope is going to be a little bit wider from a lens perspective when you, when you dig into some of these uh, newcomers to these these rosters. So I'm not surprised. Uh, it's unfortunate, certainly, um, but I do think that uh, you know the extent of the law is, is clearly being pushed, and, and when, if and when Mitchell and, and the other players get through it, we should kind of just move on. But, you know, it's, it's a talking business, right? So uh, I, I do think it will come up, uh, certainly in recruiting, but I don't think it will – become a deciding factor for a kid looking at Alabama, Georgia, and let's say Ohio State, and that will push the kid to Ohio State because these other schools in the SEC have run into a couple of uh, legal issues. Tony Mitchell, a key to Alabama this year, coming in for his freshman year. Do you see him getting a lot of playing time if everything goes well after this? I mean, look, physically, this is an impressive kid. I mean, he had offers back in eighth grade, committed to – to Tennessee, I think in ninth grade. So yeah, he's a big physical safety prospect who's got some range and ball skills. So naturally you expect uh, in the bulk of the season, the depth of the season for him to make an impact uh, just in general, just by the numbers. But I do think Alabama's pretty secure from a safety standpoint. They're going to have to rely on youth. Um, And luckily for them, they signed the number one safety in the country in, in Caleb Downs, who's given a whole lot of Minka Fitzpatrick type vibes early in his Alabama tenure. So if there's a freshman safety to bank on, it would be certainly down. But as the season goes on, you think of attrition, you think of these spread offenses that command so much volume from a secondary perspective. And, yeah, I think later in the campaign, the size, the physicality, the length of a Tony Mitchell could certainly help Alabama towards uh, towards the end of the season if, if he takes care of business, which we hear he's doing sort of all the, the things he's asked to do uh, in the short term. So if, if he gets back in the good graces of, of Nick Saban uh, and some time goes by, yeah, I do think he has the talent to contribute pretty early. John Garcia, now with Rivals. Rivals has Georgia's the top class recruiting-wise for 2024. I saw, what, about a week or two ago they got this big commitment from a quarterback. Who is right now, Rivals, big, uh, the number one recruit for 2024? Who's out there as number one? Yeah. Dylan Rayola, as you mentioned, he just committed uh, to UGA, a big-time quarterback recruit uh, coming out of uh, the state of Arizona, has a ton of family ties to, to Nebraska, where, where most of his uh, father and uncles uh, attended college, but big-time get for Georgia. You know, this has really become – there's been an emphasis at UGA, and I was talking to an assistant coach uh, at UGA yesterday at a game. It's like they want to push this defensive narrative – to the side and bring the offensive narrative right at that level. You know, they've had so much elite recruiting on defense, so much NFL production. The offense has kind of been subpar, relatively speaking. So there's been this emphasis of, hey, let's bring in the five stars on offense just as much as we try to do defensively. And naturally, that starts at the quarterback position. And Dylan Rayola brings a lot of that juice. He's big, physical, smart, four-year varsity starter. He's a guy who's getting some Patrick Mahomes comparisons, even though he's bigger than Patrick at the same stage. He has that baseball background, so he can manipulate his arm angle there. And and that commitment has galvanized a lot of offensive recruits for Georgia. They have since picked up other skill guys that, in theory, Rayola's going to throw to, like a tight end Colton Heinrich from from down here in South Florida. There's another tight end up in Missouri, Jaden Riddell, who Georgia's starting to feel really good about. Uh, And then from a wide receiver standpoint, do you expect Georgia to push a little bit higher from a ceiling perspective because 
they've got the number one arm verbally committed. So that was a huge kind of shifting commitment for UGA to go out west and grab another elite prospect, but this time with it being a quarterback recruit who can certainly flip a recruiting class. And, and you'd have to think that the possibility of Georgia sticking with that number one spot with the momentum they have right now and Rayola on board feels, you know, much more of a, of, of a safe bet relative to what it looked like before Rayola committed. Okay, in our area, uh, John Garcia, I think you're familiar with Sterling Dixon, Mobile Christian, who we've talked to many times and is Absolutely. committed to Alabama. How strong, from your, your sources, how strong is that commitment? Because even he has said that schools, Auburn and others, are still recruiting heavily on him. Well, yeah, look, I don't blame those schools for coming after a 6'3", 215-pounder who can do so many things, right? Great pass rusher. He can certainly play off the ball. He looks like sort of the next Deontay Lawson, who a lot of people expect to be the breakout prospect at Alabama this year. Uh, so you understand folks continuing to, to come after him, whether it's Georgia, Auburn, Tennessee, uh, LSU, many uh, in SEC country. And, and Sterling, you know, to his credit, has kind of been open about both elements of this thing. One, being committed and being solid in that verbal commitment, and two, being open to due diligence. And I think this is kind of, you know, the modernization of the recruiting process. The verbal commitment locks in your spot with that school and lets everyone know, this is the school I plan on going to. But the due diligence element of it is, hey, I'm still going to take visits, I'm still going to keep it relatively open, because college football is crazy, right? I mean, how much can change between May 24th and the early signing period in, in mid to late December? I mean, so much can change. So I do think that even the most solid prospects are continuing to at least keep the conversations open with other programs. And then prospects like Dixon take it one step further and continue to vet and visit other programs as sort of uh, worst-case scenarios if something happens with their primary school. But Dixon just in the last week told Tide Illustrated, which is our, our rival's affiliate there, uh, that he is rock solid with Alabama despite uh, the other schools coming after him, LSU, Auburn, Georgia, sort of the main three uh, right there. So uh, every school's got something to sell. LSU saying, hey, come be the next Harold Perkins. Georgia saying, hey, come be the next – the Kobe Dean or maybe even a Trevon Walker, depending on, on how Dixon's body fills out. So you understand why there is still interest in these programs, but everything relative to Alabama has come up pretty positive and solid from Dixon's uh, campaign. And, and he'll take an Alabama official visit here in the month of June, and I think that will sort of recalibrate uh, a lot of that, that firmness in the verbal commitment. And you got to understand, too, you know, even Alabama's had coaching turnover. So there are new coaches and assistants that he's got to continue to get familiar with uh, going forward, like like Coach Bala, the new linebackers coach. So it does work both ways in the coaching carousel perspective. Uh, but I do think Dixon is, is pretty rock solid on Alabama, even though the visits tell us maybe otherwise. Hey, man, always good to catch up with you, John. Tell folks how they can find your coverage of all things recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. Real simple. Rivals.com. we got some rankings, refreshes coming up here in the next few weeks. Go get that free trial and, and sign up to your, your favorite team's page, and, and you'll certainly enjoy it. Uh, and if not, come check us out on social media, at John Garcia underscore JR, where we're talking ball every day. Hey, man, thank you so much. Appreciate the time, as always. 
Likewise, fellas. Take care. All right. So the opening kickoff will wrap up hour number one next. Roy Hudson's going to join us. Dale Osborne will kick off hour number two, will, which will include some uh, Chick-fil-A for you guys, potentially, uh, and Jake Peavy. Chris Stewart, hour number three, along with Richie Riley. We're just cruising along here on a, what's today, Tuesday, Wednesday edition of the opening kickoff right here on the sports station WNSP. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. High drive, left field, going back Hayes, track, wall, see ya, tie game, judge does it, it's 5-5. All right, 6.53, thanks for hanging with us. We're wrapping up our number one here on a Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Aaron did it again, ninth inning, 0-2 count. Ties the game up. Yankees win it in overtime with a sack fly. Let's bring in Roy Hudson from Community Bank. Roy, welcome to the opening kickoff, and congratulations on the newest member to the uh, Hudson family. Yes, thank you very much, Lee. Yes, we, uh, Bailey and Dave, welcomed uh, little Charlotte into the world, and we are so excited, just a beautiful little girl. As grandparents are, you know, Dean and I are just beside ourselves. So maybe in about, what, 15, 16, 18 years, she'll be a teller at one of your uh, counters? Uh, that's right. We'll probably groom her to, to carry on the, uh, the banking tradition. No, but we're very excited to have her to the uh, family. So what about the banking tradition at Community Bank? What, let's say, puts the tradition there above other banks? You know, the main focus is the uh, the customer that comes in, and uh, what we talk about all, all the time, too, Lee, is the employees. You know, it's, it's hard to build a business if you don't have a solid foundation, and our foundation is with our employees and the experience they have. And, you know, we talk now that we've got that new office opened up in uh, Gulf Shores, and, and we brought on a couple bankers down there that have 25-plus years' experience and I think that's what sets the difference. When you walk in, you want to talk with an experienced person that can help you meet your financial needs, and that's what uh, Community Bank provides. So let me ask you one question. You know, you and I talked about travels to Europe yesterday. Nick Saban's back. Uh, some uh, individuals over there saw him and were astounded and, 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 and were astounded to get pictures with him. So in your travels to Europe, did you ever run across a celebrity, or maybe you were the celebrity? No, I can't recall running across uh, anybody that would probably have that type of recognition or uh, some American travelers over there as well. So uh, maybe this trip. We'll have to wait and see. Good luck to you, Roy. We'll talk later. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. All right. So uh, somebody help fix the kickoff rule. So the tweak now is that uh, wherever you catch it, fair catch, you'll get it at the 25 Despite all the efforts by the league to make the play safer, according to reports, concussions are up <laughs> in kickoffs. So how do you fix it? How do you not only make it safer, but don't don't make it boring either? I've come up with the solution. You don't even have to give me credit. The ball... Once it is received on a kickoff, must change hands at least twice. You know, Mark, I haven't that? seen the stats on this, but when they say concussions are up, are they talking about concussions are up because of the kickoff or in general? Nobody's. I haven't seen anything in writing that says 
how many concussions because of the kickoffs? Because most of the kickoffs now go into the end zone. They're not returned anyway. According to this, concussion rates on kickoffs have surged over the past two seasons to nearly twice as high as the average offensive or defensive play, despite a series of previous tweaks to its format that have resulted in touchbacks on roughly 60% of kickoffs on an annual basis. Now, not only is that exactly what we're talking about, it's also the longest sentence in, in, in history of the world. So you're saying, all right, kick it off. Guy fields it, and then he has to hand off to somebody. Yes. Well, couldn't that guy who got the hand? You still have the two teams colliding, though, right? Uh, how's that going to potentially? Gonna, yes, but how's that? Gonna, but they won't be looking to engage the kick off, kick return team because they're looking to see who has the ball. And so the first guy is generally safe because you know he's going to have to hand it off, and you know the second guy is going to be safe because he's got to hand it off or get rid of it. But by then. Your eyes are playing tricks on you. You don't know who has the ball. All right, so how about this then? Can you then, are you okay with faking the handoff? You know, like the guy yes. comes around. Is that okay then? I'm all for all it right. as long as it changes hands twice. And No, but I mean, if, if the guy who gets the ball then fakes the handoff and then keeps it. And then gets tackled? Well, yeah. No, that's a penalty. It's got to change hands twice. Oh. He, he could get it back. <laughs> Is this, yep. what, is this what keeps you up at night while yep. you're so tired in the morning? Exactly. So, again, follow me for more tips on how to make the NFL more exciting. I got one question for Nick. We have to bring in our Hawks apologist. Uh, Nick, good morning. Hello. <laughs> There's a story making the rounds. Fact or fiction? Are the Lakers really interested in Trey Young? Yeah, and I'm interested in uh, dating Ariana Grande. Oh, are good you? Luck. Good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Really? Do you need a exactly. recommendation? Yeah, you need a reference. Feeling. We'll do it. I can. I. 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 I know I, people. I also crave uh, having steak and lobster for dinner tonight. Over it's that, probably no not going to happen. Over that non-meat thing, huh? Yeah, but if you take her out on a date, that's impressive. Steak and lobster. I'm sure she's never had that combo yeah, before. Yeah, I'm sure. Especially with somebody as gifted as you. But no, the Lakers can be interested and look all they want, but they do not have what it takes to offer the Hawks to to get Trey Young. They barely had enough to get D'Angelo Russell. So, look, the Lakers are always going to be in the news saying that they want a star player. Would you take Russell for Young? W would you give me a $20 bill if I gave you a nickel? No. No! Oh, I thought that was a trick question. <laughs> I think that was a rhetorical question, so that's uh, why I didn't answer. All right. I got a nickel, by the way. I got 75 cents so I can go get a drink out the drink machine. Are you that guy? Always, there was always a guy. You always go <laughs> with it. Did you ever work with a guy or go to school with a guy that always asked you for... You know, 75 cents or 50 yeah. cents. There's always a guy or I went to school with. I went to or a how school, about this? school with, a guy? with a guy who knew how to fix the machine that you could just hit it a certain way and the drinks came out without putting yeah. the money in. I, I went to school with guy. a guy who probably owes me about $80. Yeah. Just It, it wasn't all at once, just a little at yeah. a time. Exactly. All the time. Stay with us. Dale Osborne's next. is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. 
the latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 7.05, hour number two. Thanks for hanging with us on a Wednesday edition. Mark and Lee, Triple G in the studios of WNSP. Well, the big story last night, of course, on the uh, court was NBA, where Boston staved off elimination, forcing a game five, and that'll be played tomorrow night. And somebody that we look to for expertise on what's going on in basketball, my good friend, former South Alabama star, a longtime assistant with Portland and now with Orlando. He sits on the bench. He sees it. Dale Osborne. Dale, welcome to the show this morning. How are you today? Thanks, Lee. Thanks, thanks for having me. I'm sorry if you hear a little music in the background. I'm waiting on a drink in Starbucks, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Do you get a choice of what music you want? No, 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 no. I'm just in here ordering my coffee, just waiting to get out of here. So it's got kind of busy here tonight. But as soon as I get my drink, I'll get out of all this noise. Okay. So sorry about that. Not a problem. Thank. And I we accept your apology, but we're glad to have you on. Um, no team has ever come back down three games to none do you give the celtics any hope yeah you know it's going to happen it's eventually going to happen that was a huge win for them last night lee um you know whenever you got a guy that can get it like tatum and brown um they're a tough team they've been in tough games so you can never count teams like that out i've always said that like golden state um those guys are going to battle to the end because they've been in big games um um, so that's that, that, you know, if Boston, um, if Boston can go home and get one, this series is going to start to get interesting because uh, uh, that was a big win for them last night, a big confidence booster. All right, let me ask you this. What would be worse, Mark and I had this conversation, to lose game four and get swept or go back to Boston and lose game four in front of your home fans? Um, I think – you want to try to win, win, Lee. You know what I'm saying? So you got to play the game. You play the game to win the game. Um, they won a big game last night. They're going to – the good thing, they're going to be home. The crowd is going to be pumped up. The crowd is going to have more life. Um, I was – you got to win the games, man. Yeah. You just got to win the game. So for them to get that game in Miami and going home, that's huge for them. Huge for them. Yeah, I, I, I don't said, think you're going to see them lay down and, and, and lose like they did in game three. Yeah, I think they're going to be ready. I think they know what's at stake. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to be swept, Coach. I mean, that's just, right. I mean, right. you know, even if you got to go home and lose in game five, you, you just can't get swept. Right, 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 right. So I expect them to, like, if they go home and they win that game in, in Boston, which they very well can, the series is going to get interesting. So that was a huge win, and that was a convincing win. It didn't come down to a shot or anything like that. I mean, they they played well. They put it on them in the second half. Yeah, I think uh, I think I know everybody wants to talk about Tatum and, and rightfully so, but I thought the defense, especially in the second half. I mean, not only contesting shots, blocking shots. Uh, I thought um, I thought the Heat got a little. Uh, um, out of, out of rhythm, there was a lot of ISO. They play a lot of ISO anyway, Coach, but it just seemed like when Jimmy Butler, just it wasn't his night, and they just didn't have an answer. Like, they just kept going to him. At one point, I was like, stop shooting the ball. Find somebody else. But to Lee's point, I'm not sure there is anybody else. Right, right. The one thing I think people have to forget about when it comes to winning games and winning championships and, and getting in the playoffs, it's a whole nother level. Physically, defensively, 
you got to battle every possession, every possession. I'm a big believer in defense. I'm a big believer in defense wins games. Um, the three-point shot has changed the NBA with more of a finesse game. But come through the playoffs, every possession, you got to be physical. You got to hit people. Um, you got to do a better. You got to do a great job of guarding the rim and guarding the three-point shot. So I agree with you. Their defense in the second half was was great. Yeah, I want to ask you this from a coaching standpoint. That comment by Joe Mazzullo, the uh, coach of the Celtics, when he said after game three, you know, it's on me. Uh, I, I didn't have them well prepared. The, and, and people were laughing at that, figuring, wait, you mean to tell me in the postseason, the finals, you have to you have to get these kid, these players prepared? Did you Did you buy into that statement or do you just laugh it off? No, no, no. You know what, Lee? He's young. He's 34. He was thrown into the fire. I think he's done a great job so far. I knew exactly what he was trying to say, but he can't say it after a game. You know what I'm saying? What was he trying to say? His what was he trying he, to in say? In the back of his mind, in the back of his mind, after they lost the game like that, as the coach behind closed doors, he is questioning, saying, "I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Um, I got to do it better." But you just can't say it to the media. Because they'll take it and it'll make it makes them look like he doesn't he didn't know what he was doing. Um, he's not taking his job seriously. Um, you just can't say it. The thing I feel bad for Joe is somebody. You know we've talked about this as a staff in Orlando. As coaches, we're very emotional. After wins and losses, you're very emotional. So as coaches, we want to just relax, think about it. Um, Coach Mose does a great job of of, of, of of being not over-emotional. He's going to think about it. He knows the media is going to come at him. Um, and he, he just knows he, he has to word it right. So I know what Joe was saying after that game like that. He probably was behind closed doors saying, I got to do a better job. I got to get him ready. You just can't say that to the media after a game. Because to, to them and to people outside, it looked like he was saying, you know, we didn't practice, we didn't watch film, and, and, you know, we didn't do anything. We just showed up to play. Maybe he was watching Our Town too much? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, I'm only I, kidding. I'm only kidding. Do, do players tune out coaches? Do you see that with Orlando? Do they tune you guys you out after a while? You have to have a great feel for it, Lee. You know, one thing that we, we do a great job in Orlando, we don't have 20- and 30-minute film sessions. I'm in charge of our defense. After a game, I pull 40 to 50 clips of uh, of good defense and, and, and defense we got to get better at. And I'll show 8 to 12 clips. So you're talking about two minutes. Make my point, then we got to move on. Because it's an 82-game season. It's a long season. They will tune you out if you have long meetings and long film sessions. Um, one thing Jared Jeffries um, you know, the former player from Indiana, he played about 13 years in the NBA. When I was a rookie head coach for Portland, he said, Oz, there's one thing you got to remember as you become a coach in this league. You got to keep us fresh, you got to keep us focused, and you got to keep it, you got to keep it fun, no matter whether you win or lose. He said, because if, if you know, if, if you start wearing us out, if you start screaming and yelling and all that, guys will start tuning you out. And I'll always remember that. 
All right, Dale. Denver, of course, gets a longer rest period now. They don't start till June 1st anyway for the finals. I know when I traveled with South Alabama, there was always this big deal about going up there in the altitude. Does that really make a difference playing there? It, it, it does make a difference. Um, um, whoever, um, I heard the Lakers went up two days earlier to get used to it and get shots up in practice, but it does make a difference. Um, I'm quite sure whoever wins the Boston-Miami uh, series, they'll know in the back of their mind they have to get there as soon as possible because the altitude does make a difference. The big, One of the big stories, of course, the narrative about LeBron James. Just an opinion. What do you think? Does he, does he retire or does he come back for another year? And if he does, is it with the Lakers? I think he comes back for another year with the Lakers. Yeah, I think he does. I, again, it's an emotional game. He played great. A great player. Um, and he gave it his all. Um, obviously, he said in his interviews he's not used to. He, you know, he's not happy with with uh, conference finals. He wants to win championships. So I, I think he'll be back. Coach, enjoy that Starbucks, sir. We always appreciate your time, and uh, we look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. That's uh, Dale Osborne, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Uh, so there are a couple things. How do you how do you want to fix the kickoff rule? In the NFL. So the fair catch, uh, they're now going to implement a fair catch gives it to you at the 25, regardless of where you actually fair caught it. Um, concussion rates on kickoffs are up despite the their best efforts to, uh, to curb them with all these rules. So how do you fix it? How do you fix it? Because I feel like we're one step closer to just saying, you know what? No more kickoffs. Everybody's just going to get it at the 25. I don't want to see the kickoff go, but I don't want to – let me – I always say it the wrong way. I don't want to see kickoff returns go. I don't want to sit there and have to go to commercial after a score, come back, watch a kickoff, the touchback, go to another commercial and come back. I don't want that, but I don't necessarily want to see the kickoff return leave either. So I, I think most people feel the same way, and I don't know if anybody's changed – their feelings on that since we ever started this however many years ago but clearly we're no closer to solving this issue than we were the minute they decided there was an issue lee so i, I don't know what the answer is but i think we're just one step closer to getting rid i think of it if they ever eliminated kickoffs people are going to say oh my gosh we're, we're what is going on with pro football they're saying it anyway you know with all the rule changes and, and favoring this and that and all the you know the penalty flags on targeting and things like that let's protect the quarterback but this is just not the game of football that we were used to growing up with. At least I was, and I do want to see kickoffs remain. Look, the guy has the option. If he wants to return it, fine. If not, fine. Uh, we'll take your calls on that coming up. Uh, let's get you scoreboard traffic and weather. we got a little Chick-fil-A coming up here this hour as well, and Jake Peavy set to join us. The opening kickoff, Mark and Lee. By the way, and Triple G, did not watch the Bama Rush thing. Did you watch it? Did not watch it. So if anybody wants to give me their two cents on it, I said I was going to watch it. Things got busy. Y'all just ignore that promo that ran yeah. all day yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just like, make it up? Make up something like you did watch it. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Did you see? Uh, oh, when, when they started, when the swords came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, stay with us. The opening kickoff continues.
everybody, this is Gabe Gross, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. fly right field hit pretty well back forward is Verdugo he's looking up Mike Trout has delivered a two-run homer it goes to the opposite field and that might be just the swing Trout needed to get back to where he belongs 722 here we are on a Wednesday you guys can jump in that home run mark 361 which ties him with Joe DiMaggio hmm just thought I'd throw that out there thank you for throwing that out there I'll duck all right did you see where uh, Michael Jordan purchased a new automobile? I did, but I only saw it because of you. It's uh, it's not your run-of-the-mill automobile, guys. It's a lot different than the one he wanted in air. Yeah, uh, yeah, he wanted the Mercedes, right? Well, you, a red color, remember? I think it was a red Mercedes. Red Mercedes, yeah. yeah. They delivered it. No, this is a Hennessy Venom F5 Roadster. Now, I have no idea what that sa- what that means, but that sounds like a badass automobile right now. It was it's worth 3 million dollars. There's only like 30 of them made and apparently gets up to 300 miles an hour, which I just find remember to ask unbelievable. David McCurry tomorrow. He'll be on at 7:50 yeah. with LCM. See if they have one of those out there. Yeah. And what it's going for. More than 1800 horsepower and it's a convertible. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't like flashy cars, does he? No, he, he's he's trying to stay under the radar. I think. Um, could you imagine? Hmm. Have you ever, let's say, growing up, wanted a special car? Like I didn't. I didn't care. I just wanted a car that ran and oh, didn't I think, break down. I think every kid at some point in his, uh, in his life wants like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Or, or See, I never did. I didn't care about. I just wanted a car that I knew would run. Nick, what was the what, like? What was your dream car growing up? Like, I mean, was there like? I oh, know, that like, is so easy. And I'm that? not even a car guy. Okay, what? A DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I guess. I just wanted a car. You know, I didn't no, get I, one. No, we all wanted a car, but, but so, like as a kid, you always wanted like maybe you had that folder or whatever that that Lamborghini I, or that Ferrari I, or something. I needed the DeLorean with the door that opened up. Yeah, it was know, the doors the I got like you, right? That. Yeah. But now, I don't know if I've ever actually seen a DeLorean in my entire life on the road. I saw one at a Comic Con in New Orleans. Yeah, when I was like eighteen. It's the only one I've ever saw in person. Did you ever attend one of those? Yeah, because I saw one. No, I know, but I'm just saying, were you just happened to see it, or you were actually in attendance? Yeah, I went. I went to one in New Orleans when I was 18. I met uh, the guy who plays Captain America. The reason I asked because I was working out one day. I was in Lafayette. I think I was with the baseball team, and and they had this big picture window. So you know, you got to be careful. And, you know terrorist groups, things like that. So I saw these people approaching with guns, swords, and I'm like, I had no clue what this was about. And I found terrorists, out. Terrorists you know, well, were invading well, Lafayette, Louisiana. I was wondering, like, where are these people everybody. coming Spider-Man from? What are, are these there, real weapons? Yeah. And so I found out it was what he was talking about. Uh, it was one of those get-togethers. Yeah. I wasn't attending. I just happened to see the people Have you ever in. seen a LARPer before? No. Do you know what a LARPer is? I don't. It's LARP stands for live action role play. One time I was out here at Municipal Park 
and these you see like eight uh, guys dressed in night suits. Yeah. You're like bang, 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 and you look, and they're just legitimately fighting each other with swords and shields, smacking the crap out of one another. And then there's one guy who's like their leader, like training them on like blocking techniques and stuff. Hmm. Now when I when I fight. saw these people uh, coming, like they had like. What I thought was replicas of machine guns. I didn't know if yeah. they were real or not. Yeah. So you imagine terrorists selling that. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, you're working out. You don't know about the, this group being there. I had not any knowledge that they were having the the, the this group come in. That what do you call them? The D, uh, decoms, comcoms. Uh, I don't know if there is a, a word we can call them. We can start calling them that. No, no, I'm talking about the what they call the uh, Comic Con. Comic Con. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm sorry. Oh. It was, it's the Comic Con. I had no idea they were hosting one of those. And then, you know, like I said, I'm isolated. I'm, I'm working out. And I'm seeing these people approach with these guns and everything, and you know, you don't know what to expect. Right. Well, as I found out, it was quite hilarious because they all dress up and everything, and then yeah. you start mingling with them as you're getting down. You the called elevator. information wanting the the number for you know Department of Defense. <laughs> In the, in the first part of it, I was concerned after yeah. that. Uh, after I found out what it was all about, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm getting uh, two separate reports that there's a DeLorean on the causeway. For those that have not had a chance to see a DeLorean, where at? That's all I got. <laughs> I'll just is it, is it stuck it in traffic? In is, it, is it stuck? Yeah. Um, DeLorean, huh? What brand is that? Or is that it? Is that, that was like the brand? Thing? Yeah, like he was named after the guy. Hmm. Oh yeah, they had a documentary on him. Northside, just to the west of Spanish Fort. It's just all right, Lewis forever. and Clark. Is it is it by Felix's or is it by <laughs> the? <laughs> I don't have my compass. I can't figure this stuff out. How many of you guys are like that? North south. You, you get directions, and they're like, yeah, just north of you know Broad. I'm like. I need landmarks. Bro, yeah, is it, is, Give it me by, a landmark. is it by the checkers or or do I need to go down to Government Street? Oh, I, many times I'll ask that. I said, okay, you told me it's on government. Can you give me a landmark? Yeah. Yeah, you know, just, just west of. Nah, right over my head. All right, it's east of the old, of all the restaurants. Okay, I can, I can work with that. I can work with that. Across from State Park. Field trip. Maybe they'll trade Air Sports One for DeLorean for a day, and we can ride around DeLorean. How's Air Sports One doing after the uh, big weekend? Is uh, it still in existence? I think it. I think it's still good. I think it's still is good. Is it still down there at Gulf Shores, or is it? No, back it's here? back. All it's right. back. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll have some Chick Fil A for you, and Jake PV scheduled to join us as well. Chris Stewart, eight o'clock. Stay with us. Plenty left here on a Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A <laughs> Suddenly I need waffle fries in front of me With some nuggets oh, there and hard sweet tea Kind of got over, I was, I was trying to talk over one of the greatest songs ever made 
All right, Lee, so what do you have for the folks today? All right, this is a baseball question, hopefully leading into uh, Jake Peavy. Garrett Cole yesterday for the Yankees got to 2,000 strikeouts in his career, third fastest. In other words, as far as the third fastest as far as innings pitched to get to 2,000 strikeouts. Name the pitcher who got to 2,000 strikeouts faster than anybody. And when we say fast, meaning the number of innings it took him to get there. But uh, Cole's third, Kershaw second. Who's number one? Nick knows the answer. 694-1055. And I think we got Jake ready to go. Jake Peavy, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Lee. How about yourself? Wonderful. Pal? It's been so long, and I'm so grateful that you have time for us. With the First of all, for those who don't know, of course, you know about Jake's major league career, how great it was with San Diego and some other teams. But right now, you've met, you're carving out a nice broadcasting career with the Major League Baseball Network. How's that working out? Well, I learned from the best, Lee. I've been listening to 105.5 WNSP for a long, long time. Good, good promo. And uh, I... I never saw that uh, this day coming, but I'm having so much fun. The game has changed so much, as as you guys know, that um, for a former player who um, it, it just wasn't a lot of fun for me being around the game that I love so much. I never thought the media side would would be this much fun. But it's it's rekindled uh, my love for the game of baseball. When, okay, for those listening and want to watch you, when are you on the Major League Network? Is there a specific time, or does it just vary from time to time? No, it just it just varies. Lee, I, I'm I'm going to be up all next week. I jump on and off some of these broadcasts on on uh, some of these shows. Uh, it's fun. The, the game, like I said, is changing. So there's some stuff. Um, uh, intentional talk. There's a show called Off Base. Um, and I'm jumping on some of those as well as the MLB Tonight's. But I tell you, I love the MLB Tonight stuff. We just get to uh, to call baseball. And, and, you know, Lee, I, I've done nothing in my life um, other than just sell my soul to baseball. So it's so nice to just hop in a booth or hop in somewhere and talk about what you know and what you've you got some expertise in. Well, you've also made uh, carved out a car- reputation downtown for all you're doing with music and everything. But we'll save that for later. I was curious. As an analyst, well, we don't know what we're doing down there, Lee. Is all I'm saying. Everything else that we're involved with, <laughs> flipping a coin. <laughs> you know? I may come back to that I, if I we have time. I may come back to that if we have time. But I'm all curious, as an analyst, and and this has been, you know, any great athlete who goes into the booth, are they going to say stuff that ruffles the feathers? Have you actually said anything that you've had feedback from players that are playing the game now that got upset with something you said? Um, not yet on the player side of things. Now I have, um, my boss is the MLB owners. We're owned by major league baseball. And so, um, I've said some things that, uh, I don't think ownership, uh, across the league is, is maybe, Hey, I'm a player. So I'm going to go, go hard in the players and, um, defense at times, especially when I know them personally and some of the stuff over the Max Scherzer stuff and the sticky stuff on your hand. I went pretty hard at that, saying Max has had an incredible career. I've known him for a long time, and he's done things the right way. And then also, I know what you can do with rosin and sweat, and you can make it as tacky as you want it. And so, an experienced guy like Max, I don't, I didn't um, think he was cheating at all. And I, I went hard in his defense, and maybe a little too hard on umpires. But I hadn't got fined yet, or I hadn't got fired yet, fined or fired, Lee. So I look, I count that as a year in. That's a win. Do you think if they 
and, and I don't think there was an effect that, you know, coming off the mound when you were pitching, that they were checking your glove and everything. Did you th- think you'd have problems with umpires back in your day? Um, if they were checking my hand at certain times, I probably would have had problems with them. You know, getting a grip is, is huge, and it's something that we always tried to do. There are plenty of times that we batted, you know, when I was in the National League, and I would not use batting gloves just simply when I said they check my hands and I've got pine tar on them because it's the seventh inning and I'm trying to throw a good slider to Gary Sheffield. You know, I'm, I, in my defense, I was going to go, I hit last inning. I grabbed the bat. I'm a baseball player. What do you want me to do? There's dirt on my hands. So, look, the sticky stuff on guys' hands, they've been doing it, and there's been ways sunscreen's been a part of it, shaving cream's a part of it. Uh, all kind of, you know, just a few years back to Garrett Cole and the tacky substance, you know, you, you're seeing with Aaron Judge peeking in his first base coach. These guys are the best players in the world, but they're also looking for any advantage they can possibly have. And at that level, the talent level is so close that if you can find something that ticks your spin rate up or, or helps you have a little bit uh, sharper breaking ball or a better sinker, you're going to try it. Jake Peavy is our guest here on WNSP. Jake, with more time, thanks for jumping aboard with us. I, 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 I laughed at the the rosin and the sweat and it being so, the stickiest stuff the umpire had ever seen. It's like I, I've said this for weeks now. This is not a new concept of baseball, man. Rosin's been around a, a minute, right? Sweat's been around. Like, why are we still having conversations with uh, with umpires about it being the stickiest a hand has ever been? Uh, it it just it just it sounds so ludicrous that we're still talking about it. We, we've got to find just a clear-cut, definitive answer to what, what this is. And, and if anybody wants to see, Trevor Bauer, and, I, and I'm not a huge fan at, at all and, and hate to even say that, that name, um, but he did a video years back when he was with the Dodgers showing um, just pregame what you can do when, when sweat gets mixed with rosin and you keep adding and you keep messing with it. So, and that's a legal substance, right. you know. Now they're they're saying some of this stuff seems to be foreign substance. So, I think Major League Baseball is working. I know they're working now, Mark, to just try to figure out some clear cut, definitive answer. It seems to me that that you should just be able to use rosin and rosin only while you're on the field. Right now, they're letting them put rosin on in the t- dugout. And, and again, when I was going hard in max defense, there's an NF or an MLB rule official that sits in the dugout. And you're not going anywhere down around that tunnel as yeah. a pitcher these days. You know, so the fact that guys now, Herman, that looked absurd. I don't know if you guys saw that with, with what he was out there using. He had a dark substance all over his pants. And, uh, you know, that was absurd. <laughs> but the Max Scherzer case, an experienced veteran guy, hot, sweaty, and you, I went hard in his defense because I know Max personally. Jake, you said earlier in the interview, in our, and you said uh, the way the game is changing. What do you like as far as changes? What don't you like? Well, I love the rule change in the pace of play, Lee, and we don't have to stay up, you know, all night long um, watching these games. They're moved uh, moved along with, with some great pace. I I do worry about late in the game. I worry about postseason play being rushed in some of these big moments that we see late in games. They're really um, a lot of a product of a guy being able to step out and really gather his thoughts and understand the situation. That stuff's hard to do in the middle of a crowd going crazy, and, and, and that's what the best of the best can do. So 
I worry about that, Mike Trout having a big bat, or, or when we saw Shohei Otani face Mike Trout in the, the WBC, there was about 30 seconds in between every one of those pitches, and it was great television, it was great buildup, and both of these players were really using their physical skill as well as mentally and, and trying to have an advantage and think through the situation. I worry about that just a little bit, but... Other than that, the stolen bases, the first to third, it's a much better game we're watching, um, I think, this year as opposed to years past. I can ask you this question because you're a pitcher, former pitcher, Mobile Sports Hall of Famer, now broadcaster, great pitcher with the Padres, Jake Peavy. Jake, I don't like what's going on with pitching. I don't like bullpen games. I don't like the fact that starters can only go four or five innings. Um and with all that baseball does to pamper, and I say pamper pitchers to make sure they don't pitch too much, why is the DL so filled up with pitchers going out? It's incredible how many teams are decimated by starters. You look at the Braves, two of their best are on the injured list. So many teams are dipping into the minors now just trying to find a pitcher. because with And they take so much let's say, time and effort to protect these pitchers because obviously they're salaries, and yet we have more pitchers on the DL than ever. Yeah, you're speaking my language, Lee. I, I agree with you, and I come from an era where the starting pitcher had a duty, and, and that, that duty, every time I went out, if I didn't go three times through the lineup, and we know how big of a deal it is third time through the lineup, and they're going, well, Nestor Cortez is great these first two times, and the third time they're doing this. And, and I'm going, well, no no joke. That's what happens when you start when you face Mike Chow for the third time and you're throwing him everything. But there's where that art form and what you loved about Greg Maddox and, and those smolts and the guys that we grew up watching pitch is there was an art form to it. And I had to get you out early in the game not showing my whole repertoire to where I had something left. I had to pace myself to have some energy left 100-plus pitches in to make my big biggest pitches of the night to get out of a seventh-inning jam, eighth-inning jam. And where I think you're, you're seeing it, Lee, is, is they, they've got this thing down to numbers and they've stripped the soul out of it, and it's not human element anymore in, in, in your eyes making this decision. Uh, and, and what they end up doing, the starting pitcher ends up coming out early every night. And that might necessarily be the right play to win that night's game. But where it gets you is all these relievers who have to – if you have to pick up four, five innings a night, it ends up taking a toll over the course of this season. And there's just no way your better bullpen arms can keep up. And you guys know down here in Braves country, that bullpen has been the, the anchor – you win the games you should win late, but you see now with Mentor and some of these guys with years of wear and tear and that those on their arm, it gets tougher and tougher. So I love the starting pitcher to figure it out. And Lee, the generation's just gotten softer. There's not nothing else to say other than a little bit softer than we were, pal. You know, when I <laughs> took my son when he was growing up and he was in the youth league being coached by your dad, I asked Eddie Stanky because I had no idea. Uh, you know, how to work with pitchers. He said, just throw every day. Do pitchers throw every day? You got to. Use it or lose it, and, and you throw every day, and you work on your craft. I miss that. I got to play catch till I was about 36, 7 years old every day of my life. And there was days where my arm hurt, and, and it wasn't going to be uh, fun. But you, you, for the most part, if you're not injured, 
you know, throw through it. Good old Herm Schneider, the, the coach um, and trainer in, in Chicago, would tell me that all the time. I'd come in, I'd say, Herm, I can't throw today. He'd say, you either use it or you lose it, pal. You know, when you were at St. Paul's, you were a really good hitter, and most pitchers are usually the team's top hitters, too. And yet, you know, today we have the DH, except for Otani. Do you ever think we'll see uh, another Otani come along, at least in this country? Of course, he's from Japan. Because you were a very good hitting pitcher for a while, weren't you, until, I don't know, late in your career? I would like to think so. I mean, what we're watching with Shohei Otani, uh, there's so much talk about him. And, and even at times, I'm like, man, are we, we're going to talk about this again. But it, it never ceases to amaze me, and he is even underratedly. This guy has got better numbers than Mike Trout. Mike Trout's as good a player as we've ever had in the game. He's a phenomenal player, OPS-wise. And offensively, this guy is better right now than Mike Trout. He's a top-five offensive player in the league. He's also a top-five pitcher in the league. And what people, the general public, probably have the hardest time wrapping their head around is what his days must look like. And I, I can only speak from, from what it took to be a starting pitcher and get your body ready. And when he goes out and throws 100 pitches, what he feels like the next day. And he goes in and, and does whatever he needs to do to get his body ready to play the next day, to DH, to run the bases. And, and the fact that you can do both and get ready to do both when the rest of the league is focused on one side of the ball and then you're better than everybody on both sides of the ball. It's just absolutely phenomenal. I just wonder how long can is this possible, and I certainly hope we see it. Um, people are allowed to do it um, because it's just so exciting for our game. You made, like I said, when we started the interview, you've made a name for yourself downtown. I, I hear it often, especially in the music part of it. You're still playing the guitar, I understand, but I was hoping to talk to you before we went on the air. If you want to just say no comment, that's fine. But I have been asked so many times whether you're, in, let's say, in an investment group or looking to uh, purchase a golf course around here or anything along those lines. I hope I'm not out of bounds with you on this, but is there anything going on? Problem. Yeah, no, look, I, I'll tell you this, Lee. My name, and, and it, it, it gets thrown around a, a lot, and, and um, a lot of stuff is true. A lot of it is not true. Um, I've heard a lot of, of, of the golf course talk and, and different stuff. And, and I listen, and I, I love Mobile. Being back home and me stopping playing, I had to find purpose, being here and being a dad and and to be able to help downtown in the music scene. And, and I do have um, a, a, some investments going around. But really, we're caring about the downtown movement. I want to get the foundation really up and thriving here um and like i said i've got some money behind some other stuff but as far as what we're touching personally the food and bev downtown and making that family friendly making sure that we have good entertainment across the board and it's not just music but it's it's the arts across the board it's technology it's entrepreneurship and, and linking in with our great colleges we have here so been great being back in Mobile, and like I said, Lee, it's also I appreciate the kind words on the baseball side of things because it's been fun um, not figuring out how, how to make food and bev make sense and good for the community. Baseball is something I know and can fall back into uh, rather nicely. Well, Jake, we can't thank you enough for joining us, man. It had been far too long. Uh, continued success, and we appreciate everything you do for the city. Uh, we'll be in touch. Likewise, boys. I appreciate you. Yep, that's Jake Peavy.
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, did we get a winner on the uh, Chick-fil-A? Who's the big winner today, Nick? That would be Robert. Nice job, Robert. Yellow Chick-fil-A compliments of WNSP. Randy Johnson was the fastest to get 2,000 strikeouts. All right, when we come back, we have an opportunity uh, for you to, to hop on. And uh, we were talking about what's the, what's, the one, what's the dream car? What was the dream car you always wanted? For, for Nick over there, it was a DeLorean. For me, it was a Ferrari or like a Lamborghini, right? And we only bring this up because Michael Jordan just bought a Hennessy Venom F5 Roadster, which just sounds like a... Know what, yeah. It just sounds like a badass automobile. 300 miles an hour worth $3 million. And by the way, we got to talk about this too because Nick asked if he could borrow money for the to get a drink out of the machine. There's all... You had to have grown up or worked with a guy that always asked to quote unquote borrow money. Can I can on, I man. borrow a dollar? Let me, a dollar? Let me borrow fifty cents. Well, he was never borrowing, right? You've had those people in your lives, man. I had a homeless guy uh, come up to me yesterday. I said, "Man, I don't have any cash." He said, "You got cash app?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> we come back. Hey, you want to deal? Hear Last time I heard a person, that was about a week ago. This is Chris Samuels. You're listening to WNSB 105.5. Roll Tide. And God bless. Yeah, we just, uh, you know, everybody was in good spirits, right? Everybody was upbeat. Uh, and... You know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, we just tried to take it one game at a time. You know, we tried to break it down. Of, uh, you know, we, we didn't play well those first three games. We didn't deserve the win. Um, but, you know, we didn't want that to define us, define the season. Um, and we still got a long uphill battle to go. All right, 7.53, wrapping up hour number one. I'm sorry, hour number two here on a Wednesday. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G, and now you, 694-1055. Uh, I'll ask Nick, was that – Tatum or Smart from the Celtics? That was Jason Tatum. Yes, no? Yeah, he said it was Jason Tatum. Oh, okay. I didn't hear what he said. Okay. Uh, I figured it was. Tatum actually had a good fourth quarter. He's been, uh, well, basically uh, criticized for not being a factor. He didn't have any field goals in the first three games, figure. But he had 33 points and 23 in the second half, and he was instrumental. I think there was a 12-0 run at the end of the game, and he was involved in 10 of those points, either scoring or coming up with an assist. Uh, in the app, Firebird from Smokey and the Bandit style. Somebody wanted a Firebird. I could see that. I could see that. So, Lee, you were you were getting ready to tell us a story. And, uh, well, I was picking up on what he said about a homeless person. I don't think this person was homeless, but I was uh, on Airport Boulevard. I had stopped to pick up some items, and as I got out of the car, I was approached by this female who said she was basically hungry or something or needed money hungry for love well that wasn't the case <laughs> believe me that that was not i was the wrong person for that and so so uh, i just happened I, i'm not making this up i just happened to have a chick-fil-a gift card i said here take this good luck hmm. they probably threw it out i don't know I, I don't know if these people really are hungry or just looking for money random people on the street getting free chick-fil-a from lee what, what, when was the last time we got anything? Get anything we ain't got nothing that's true. You haven't. I'll have to take care of that. Thank you. All right. I'll take care of I, it. I can't be any more subtle than I just was. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a target. 
I really appreciate that uh, promo that Jake did for us in the beginning about listening to 105.5 yeah. to get started in the broadcast business. It's helped so many before him, too. There's a long line of Mobile area broadcasters. Uh, no, you guys can jump in on a number of things. So if you want to get... Um, Mark, my kid in, in, is in the car who thought you were funny. His name is Cam. Thank you, Cam. If it's what I say, if you can't laugh at me, who can you laugh at, really? He's very. That's very true, Mark. Well, I, if, if I'm nothing but honest. Every time I go home, first question: Well, how was the show? How was Mark? That's what I get asked all the time. Well, it changes from day to day. Would it Would it make you feel better if I was asked the same question about you? Not really. Uh, I don't. Because I, I don't, don't. But I just no. Of I just course not. No, I'm sure you, your family is a lot more involved in other things than worrying about what I say or do. I yes, just, Nick. Yeah, I just had a caller call in. He said he wanted to say hey to Lee, that he was calling from his brand new flip phone. What? <laughs> and that every time he sees you, he always gets a Chick-fil-A gift card. He said to just tell you that he's the lawn care guy. Okay. Ooh, code words. Yes, code word. Okay. All right. All right. Lee's got all sorts of connections <laughs> around the city. And the codes. And a fellow flip phoner yep. or a yeah. former no you got to kick lee out the you have to kick yeah. lee out the club now i know i i do miss it i really do i don't know hey, you're on that phone one. can be a flip phone if you <laughs> yeah flex well, this enough. one i'll tell you i do enjoy my new iphone i really do now can you it's <laughs> opened up new avenues of communication you playing candy crush on there or anything well and it, look <laughs> i'll tell you where it's good it hopefully it'll come in handy and i don't want to jinx myself but through the efforts of nick who's yeah. quite the instructor it's nice really going to benefit me if I do it correctly next week at the spring meetings with our audio. I've never been really what I consider really strong in getting good solid audio based on the tape recorder. So through the instruction and Nick going to the Nick School of Broadcasting. NIT. Uh, the what now? The NIT, Nick Institute of Technology. <laughs> that I'm hoping that I do this right. I've been practicing that we uh, will have good audio for you next week at the impromptu news conferences by some of the coaches that will be in Sandestin for the SEC spring meetings. Is that is that a branch of the South Harmon Institute of Technology? Uh, no, but it, it's an online university. Yeah, it's the Harvard of online of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, every year, I don't know how many years I've covered this now, but this year, I, I it seems to me there there's a little more. At stake, and I'm not talking about X and O's and who the backup quarterback is or this. Obviously, number one is the the scheduling format, uh, and that's supposed to be released. I hope it is. Obviously, you know, uh, Greg Stanky he, he talks about a number of issues. I wonder if gambling will be among them when he addresses the media. He does hold press conferences that go 45 minutes to an hour. So. But I think with the scheduling format and some of the other things that have come out, obviously the 12-team format. So I think there's a little more involved this year. And even even Nick Saban at his news conference yesterday at Nick's uh, foundation pointed out that there's just so many issues that college football has to evolve around. And he even alluded to the fact about next week. I don't, you know, they'll discuss it. I don't know if there'll be any solutions to it. Um. I don't know if it's as good as last year. Last year we were doing the whole Jimbo versus Nick Saban thing. Yeah, that but, that was fizzled, but that fizzled out, though. It, it, I know going in that was the headline, but it never really 
got anywhere because, the, the, you know, obviously, say, I'm sure the commissioner got to both of them and said, okay, we're not going to turn this into a uh, Saban Fisher drama queen thing. Uh, just go, be at ease and don't say anything. And they didn't. They basically just dropped it, you know. So it never became it going in. It did. The big thing, remember what it was last year? Was that kid that got in? Oh, with no credential? Yeah, with no credential. Yeah. That that became the one of the big storylines. All right. Uh, who wins in a fight, Jimbo or Nick Saban? Who's, who are the toughest? Rank the SEC coaches based on who would whip someone else in a fight. Because I think Jimbo would have taken Nick. Yeah, he's a little crazy in him. Chris Stewart's next. Stay with us. It's the opening kickoff. is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 804, hour number three. Thanks for hanging with us. The opening kickoff continues the nappy nominated defending champ opening kickoff go to votenappies.com uh we appreciate your vote uh the station up for seven nappies this show up for three i think it's three anyway we encourage you to uh to vote vote your heart and there might be gift cards for you if you do how about that well, you're putting me on the spot then right putting me on the spot then uh, i better come up with something are you okay yeah, I'm good. Just pull your mu- no, I just jammed a, a knee into the table that's supposed that to have been redone, by the way. I'm just saying. So you're playing hurt today. I'm all, I just rub a little dirt on it. It's no big deal. All right. Uh, headlines, of course, the Celtics stave off elimination, force a game five. That'll be tomorrow night. They uh, beat Miami last night. The SEC baseball tournament, well, I'm not going to tell you about it. We got somebody who was there, Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide. Chris, welcome to the opening kickoff. Good morning. Guys, good morning. How are you? Were you aware? I didn't know this till after the game. Were you aware that Alabama shutout was the first ever in an SEC tournament game? I did not realize that. Alabama's had some, over the years, and again, we're talking a thirty-year stretch, uh, thirty just in the last thirty years. Some some really big wins. When Jim Wells was the head coach, he won, I think, six titles. Uh, at the SEC tournament, either Columbus, Georgia, when they played it there, won it at Hoover a number of times. And I think there was maybe one other spot, Starkville, when they played the Western Division tournament in an Eastern Division tournament back in the mid-'90s. He, he did that. So he's won different places. Bama's had success there, but I didn't realize there'd never been a shutout, for crying out loud. And that's a big ballpark that when you have – Pitching efforts like the one Bama had yesterday where you're getting a lot of fly balls and that park uh, can be cavernous at times, especially if the wind's blowing in, and it was. Um, you can you can have some ball games where you have some lower scoring deals, but I could not believe that when I saw it, that it was the, the first shutout. Yeah, they you beat Kentucky, you beat Kentucky four nothing. I got to ask you, uh, Andrew Pickney. It seems like every time I pick up a a release or a box yeah. where he's hitting a home run, is he considered a, a a high prospect for Major League Baseball? 
he's he may have played himself yesterday into consideration to be a first round draft pick. He was going to be drafted last year. Great students, uh, as evidence of being named co-student athlete of the year for for SEC baseball. Uh, but he he decided he wanted to come back for his senior year, get his degree, uh, or finish his degree, and see what he could do to improve himself. And guys, there's there are a ton of scouts there that are the that are the cross checkers, I guess they call them in the business. And um, he is everything you want in a person. He's everything you want in a student athlete. And he has played himself into becoming everything you want into in a college baseball player and has all of the tools to be what you want in a professional player. Great size, great speed, strength, intelligence, uh, and still upside on that frame. He came to Alabama as a walk-on, skinny kid that would swing at any and everything. And if he connected, pretty good contact, could outrun it, uh, close plays, but might, you know, strike out four times to one. It was just not a you know, real consistent eye that he had at the plate. But he has become one of the best defenders in the country, one of the the, uh, the best hitters, power, speed. He is, uh, he is everything you want when you're looking at making an investment, whether it's in your, your college program, whether it's your professional organization. He is, he is playing himself into a fantastic position, and I couldn't be happier because of the person that he is as much as anything else. Strictly an opinion, who do you think would get more looks or more fanfare on campus, Andrew Pickney or Montana Fouts? It's going to be Montana, but they would uh, they would certainly in tandem uh, they they would draw a, a ton of respect and a ton of eyeballs. They're they're two great representatives of what college athletics are supposed to be about, and uh, it's just who the type of people you want, as Coach Saban would say, in your organization. But they're they're everything. Is, that you would want when it comes to, I don't care if you're running a Fortune 500 company. I don't care if you're running a, uh, uh, you know, a, a kids organization. It, it doesn't matter. They're they're special, special people. Great talents, uh, great looking kids, and they are uh, they're tremendous representatives for the University of Alabama. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide, our guest here on WNSP. Follow him on Twitter at C Stewart Sports. All right, so I've been wanting to ask you this for a couple days, Chris. Tell us about your all-time favorite random celebrity encounter that took place at the Charlotte Airport. Oh, my gosh. Now, the one at the Charlotte Airport, I know where you're going. Um, Years ago, when uh, Ben Sutton used to own what was called ISP, International Sports Properties, Crimson Tide Sports Network was partially owned by Learfield Communications, as it is in whole now. But back then, I think it was Learfield and ISP had joint ownership of the Alabama Crimson Tide Sports Network. Well, ISP also had a total of about 30 schools-plus around the country that they manage the broadcast rights for. And schools like 
Auburn, Georgia Tech, uh, UCLA. They were all over the country, okay? But it was, it was about 30. And the Suttons would bring in all of their play-by-play guys for a retreat uh, once a year, two days in the summer. They'd fly us in to Winston-Salem, where the corporate headquarters are. We would play golf. Um, we would go to dinner that night. And the next day, for about four hours, we would have a session where there's 30 professional broadcasters sitting around talking about things in our business and about our specific things within our company. Okay, and then we would get back on a plane, fly back home. It was a wonderful two-day deal professionally. But this one particular time, and I've forgotten the exact year, uh, I'm in the Charlotte airport, and I, you know, you're you're back, especially then, you know. Uh, early 2000s, you're kind of people watching, and I apologize for the, the dinging of the bell as my son is taking his seatbelt off, getting out of the car, and going into sixth grade for the next to last time, and my, my I got to tell you guys, I'm, I am gutted right now. Yeah. My daughter graduated college a week and a half ago. Today, my son graduates from high school, and my youngest is a middle schooler for, uh, well, he's going to be middle school next year, but sixth grader for just yep. two more days. So dad's emotionally having a tough time. Sorry about the noise. Anyway, I'm in the Charlotte airport getting ready to fly home. I'll look up, and there's this bald-headed man walking across. And I go, holy cow, that's Curly Neal. Yeah. And I get up, and I, and I said, Curly. And he stops, and he suddenly becomes one of the clown princes of basketball as the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, were known. And introduced myself, worked for Crimson Tide Sports Network, do the basketball play-by-play at Alabama. Stands there, talked to me for about five minutes, told him, you know, worked with uh, Kenny Stabler. Because I think at the time, I'm, I don't remember if I was doing a radio show with Snake at that time or if it was just when Kenny was with us at Alabama. But uh, anyway, we, we talked for a few minutes, and he – Smiles, takes off, guys go, and he yells back at me, Hey, Bama, next time you see the snake, tell him Curly says hello. Yeah. And I thought that may be the coolest interaction I've ever been a part of in my life. I realized how incredibly lucky I am. I'm talking to Curly Neal, who knows that I know Kenny Stabler, and get me to tell him hello later on. That was, uh, that was a cool little moment for me. I'm not trying to even compare my story with yours that's pretty good stuff but i was also at a convention in north carolina i forgot salisbury i think way way back yeah and this they not only brought in all these broadcasters they brought in some sports people let's say so i'm on the they have a bus and i'm on the bus that it's going to the function that is going to come up next the doors open you're going to be named you're going to be named sportscaster of the year for the from National Sports Media Association. That's what it was. You won't say it, but I did. No, I'm not, I so wasn't going to say that. That's what it was. But so they open up the door, and stepping in, facing me right up to my nose, Billy Martin. I couldn't get over. Oh that. gosh! Yeah. And I and I didn't those say are, it. I didn't want to get cool. into a fight. I didn't want to get into a fight with him, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. how do you feel? Okay. We know Alabama's hosting the Supers in softball. Big event coming up against Northwestern. What about this baseball team? I'm hearing there's a lot of speculation that Alabama could get to host a regional. How do you feel about it? Well, coming into last night's game, Bama was projected by D1 Baseball. It does a really good job of breaking all this down. They had us They had us in as a, as a host. 
and looking, you know, to me that last night did nothing but help. Alabama's got an RPI that's, I think, 10th in the country, maybe higher than that now. Uh, Alabama also uh, plays, obviously, in the toughest baseball league in the country. They they have um, they put in a very good bid. I don't know the specifics, but I know with the size of the ballpark and, and the financials they're able to put together, they put together a really good bid. And it's been since 2006 that Alabama last hosted a regional. So I know that they like to grow it some different places, and that would be that would be a, a new old place, if you will, or an old new place, however you want to phrase it, to, to have it in Tuscaloosa. And this team, I think, has earned that. They're a, they're a really good storyline on top of it with all that they've endured over the last month. So I think they've got an excellent chance. I think I will be very disappointed if they're not a host. Uh, I think it'll be a special atmosphere. I think Bama fans that maybe have not been to a game all year or in years will be there. You know, kids aren't in session, but our school's not in session, so you don't have the, the same student population. But people will come from Birmingham and all around the, the area, I think, to see games there and, and their understanding and learning about this team and the story of this baseball team and how much fun they are to watch, and they'll get behind them. And, and I think they'll be there in great numbers, and it would be it would be absolutely fantastic for these guys to get a chance to be at home for a regional and have the type of support, which gives you a better opportunity, obviously, to get into a super regional the next week. Three of the four games yesterday were shut out. So what what do you do? You, you brought in that pitcher who went five innings yesterday and was outstanding. I guess he was not one of your weekend starters, right? Because obviously you're coming off the weekend. Correct. Now, uh, yeah, Hunter's been, Hunter Fattata has been pitching on the weekends and has been uh, very good out of the bullpen. It's been terrific as a late, but you're right. You not pitch off, but you don't throw your your weekend guy in that first game on Tuesday because even your your guy that leads the series would have thrown only on Thursday. So it'd, it'd be very rare that you'd bring him on to, to start. That's why you saw Furtado. But they could go back with Luke Holman today. I don't know what JJ's going to do if he's going to throw Holman or if there's uh, you know they've got some depth that, frankly, we haven't had in a long time. And that's even without two of the, the top starters coming into the year uh, in Ben Hess and uh, Grayson Hitt, who were, who were going to be, are going to be, I think, I majorly addressed. So, there's a guy despite not having Hey, Chris, we're going to let you run, man. We're, uh, we're starting to break up a little bit, but as always, we appreciate the time. We look forward to doing it again next week. Uh, have a great week. Guys, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. That's Chris Stewart, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, traffic and weather are next, uh, and you guys can get a chance to uh, to chime in on a number of topics that we're discussing here on the sports station. Uh, Richie Riley scheduled for 830 as well, so stay with us. Plenty left. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP. I'm Bobby Humphrey, and when I'm in Mobile, I'm listening to WNSP FM 105.5. Jimmy, it's only one loss, obviously, but is there any concern on your part that this could start to build momentum on the Boston side of things? No. If anything, it'll build momentum for us, knowing that we have to play with a lot more energy. And, um, you know, we got to play like our backs are against the wall. Um, but I, I think all year long we've been better in the red to do things our way. 
I, I don't think momentum. I don't think that's called momentum. That might be urgency, but that's not building any momentum. I'm going to ask this question about, because I hear this all the time about rating players. Jimmy Butler, right now, Hall of Famer or not? Seems like we only talk about him in postseason. Rarely do we talk about him during the season. Am I correct on that, Nick? I mean, you do the podcast, so do you talk much about him during the season? Um, I mean, if the Miami Heat are good, they weren't good this year. No, they weren't. But, I mean, do do we look at him? Does he have a Hall of Fame resume just yet? Uh, that's tough. He's, like, very borderline. I don't know. If he had a ring, for sure, no question. I don't know. They'll probably throw him in there. Basketball Reference rates his Hall of Fame chances right. at 73.3%. Okay. According to a report, he's a better scorer than Kevin Garnett and a better defender than Carl Malone. Those are both well, true. First of all, how do you come up with this stuff so fast? It, You're it's, quick. It's all in the vault. No, I'm it's serious. That's vault. quick. Sure. How did you come up with that stuff? That's great. Uh, that's pretty good stuff. 73%? Yeah. De 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 definitely 73%. 73.3%. Well, those are pretty good odds. I'd say those are good odds. I mean, so Carmelo Anthony, he just retired. He's a lock for Hall of Fame. We would all agree, right? I'll agree with it. And again, it gets to the point, well, no rings, no championships. Um, you know, he had a long career with Denver. The funny thing is, it's not funny for him. When he got traded to the Knicks, the expectations were so high, Carmelo comes in. But then you look around, and the guys that were supposed to compliment him were all traded to Denver to get him. He didn't have anybody. You know, the only thing that I like, look, obviously I'm partial to him because he took Syracuse to a national title in his one year there. But who was the, um, the guard that came on and created a, a firestorm in New York, had this great – and I was up in New Lynn Jersey. Sanity. Yes. Jeremy who Lynn. Okay, here's what bothered me. Anthony was out then. He was out with an injury, and Lynn came in, and all of a sudden they started winning like five or six games in a row. I was actually home in New Jersey watching some of the games, and the guy, the, the papers were just going nuts. And then when Anthony came back, it, it kind of like took away the thunder from Lynn, and Lynn became more of a, a role player. He had been like the star of the team. And everybody was going crazy, and then he and then Anthony gets back, and then the, he didn't want you know Lynn around, I don't think, and and then the Knicks went back to being just mediocre. Uh, Carmelo has an eighty-one percent chance. We'll see. Now that should be a hundred. The guy's top ten in scoring all time. There's no way he doesn't make it. I don't know. Maybe he gets dinged for no championships. I don't know. I don't know. Charles Barkley's in there. I guess he has an MVP. Melo didn't have any of those. All right, how about this? So what was Carmelo Anthony's number when he was in Denver? Does anyone remember? 15. And what's Nikola Jokic's? I didn't, I didn't look that up, by the way. And 15. what's Nikola Jokic's number? 15. So. Who are you putting in the rafters? Right. Can you put both? I think you can. Right, because when you put somebody in the rafters, it's not like you're retiring the number, right? You can you can have both. I think it is. Speaking actually. of that, didn't Kobe Bryant have two different numbers for the Lakers? Yes. Do you put them both up in the rafters? They're both up there. 
What if somebody comes along and says, I'll come to your team, and you know how some of these egos, right. if, if, if I can have that number, yeah. do you take it down? See, because you no. can't go to Kobe now and ask him, like uh, when, who was it, uh, trying to th think, the, uh, the athlete, and I can't remember the name, came to a team and said, oh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Namath was going to give him number twelve, yeah. and Rogers said, "No, I'm going to just take number eight. So if if the Bulls had gotten Winbanyama, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm going, I'm coming, but I got to wear twenty three. Right? I'm thinking they're well, like, "Well, okay, just first we drafted you, so you're still you're you're still going to come, right. and no, you're not wearing twenty three. We'll Butler, give you forty five. <laughs> Jimmy Butler, he wore the number twenty three in Philly. Then when he went to Miami, he wanted to wear the number 23, but Pat Riley actually retired the number 23 for Michael Jordan out of respect. But he said that he would unretire the number and let Jimmy Butler what? wear it if he wanted to. Jimmy Butler declined. What did LeBron Didn't wear? Didn't want to wear dad's number. <laughs> <laughs> what if what? Never mind. I, you were, I, yeah, I, I was, but that's okay. We got plenty of time. Right, that's on me. That's uh, what can I say, man? I'm versatile. I can adapt. I can overcome. It's fine. My apologies to you. Uh, Richie Riley. Apologizing. <laughs> yeah. Richie Riley is going to join us next. And uh, you guys can continue with your comments stamp at WNSP.com. Stay with us. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Just cruising along here on a Wednesday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, Mark Lee, Triple G, and of course, uh, you right here on the sports station WNSP. All right. Well, certainly as much as I like talking to Richie Riley, I certainly enjoy, enjoy Hoosiers uh, to listen to that. You got something you want to say first. Uh, by the way, continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. Uh, uh, while we got a minute, I do want to tell you about our good friend Aiden Marks over at Medicare Insurance Advisors. So there, we're, I often tell you, like, there's tons of information that you have to um, you have to kind of wade through, and and that's kind of what he does at Medicare Insurance Advisors. He helps those that are about a year about a year from retirement, if you're 65. Or so, but what what exactly is he talking about? Well, there's like four parts to Medicare. Right. Part A, which is the hospital insurance. Right. There's and it's the cost of that. And then there's part B, which is the medical insurance. And part C is the, the Medicare Advantage plans. And it, there's all sorts of information, all that. And of course, part D is the, the drug coverage, prescription drug coverage. He can help you weed th wade through all that. There's tons of information and everybody's uh, situation is going to be different. Right. Uh, maybe you have health insurance through your company. Maybe you want to hang on to that. Maybe you don't need Medicare. Maybe you have VA benefits, and maybe you need to complement that with Medicare, or maybe you don't. Everybody's going to be different. That's what Aiden Marks and Medicare Insurance Advisors can help you with. He's been in the business for 12, 13 years. He's an independent guy, works with multiple carriers. He can help hundreds just like you. He is located in Daphne on Highway 98 across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. So give him a call. Never a fee for his services. 
463-0031. That's 463-0031. Aiden Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors. Well, I do know one announcement South Alabama made yesterday. Uh, Riley Conroy, former basketball player at Tulane from Jesuit High School. Woohoo! And um, obviously that was because... That's my alma mater. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. I, I, when I was when I was looking up the story yesterday, I was curious. I don't remember what high school you went to, but I was thinking I knew you were in the New Orleans area. And Richie Riley, who hired Conroy, is on the uh, phone with us right now. Richie, I don't know if you're aware of this. First of all, good morning. How are you today? Hey, good morning, guys. I didn't know if you're aware of this. Uh, this uh, Riley Conroy uh, went to mark himes high school i was wondering if that had anything to do with the hiring uh the pedigree there you know coming off of basketball clearly a basketball mind yes um and and obviously the second most popular graduate from jesuit high school that's still the deal we went after mark Himes first <laughs> and then we got the closest thing to him i felt like riley conroy was carbon copy of mark himes basketball intellect and and recruiting prowess so I had to, I had to get the second best since Mark didn't want to do it. It's oh. not that I wait, the timing just wasn't right, Coach. Let, let's revisit. Let's revisit, and you know, well, at about nine a.m. after the show, <laughs> we can revisit. But yeah, I, I don't want to burn. I want to burn boats. I don't want to burn bridges. So let's let's keep that dialogue open for for a later date. That sounds good. I I do want to be serious about this though. Did you know? Do you know his father, who's I think coaching at Citadel now? Did that? Was there any cross there between you and uh, his dad? I, I do know his dad. Um, we're not incredibly close or anything like that, but I do know his dad, you know, just from coaching throughout the year. Great ball coach, really good person, too. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about Riley is his dad is one of very few Division One head coaches. There's not a ton of us out there, so he knows a lot of people and um, – is really connected through doing this for, for a lot of years. But all the jobs that Riley has taken and gotten, he went out and and got them without his dad having to call and get him the job, which says a lot about his personality and who he is. Um, he went out to Sunrise Prep School, um, one of the best in the country, and kind of learned at a young age what he was doing. And then he got an opportunity in southeastern Louisiana, worked his way up. And now he's here with us. Um, he's really good. I'm excited to have him here with us. I think he's going to make a huge impact on our program. You probably get a ton of resumes when there's an opening. What, how do you know? How do you? Because uh, obviously, when you bring somebody in, it's got to be about recruiting to begin with. I mean, you're the basketball X's and O's, and you know, I'm sure you lean on them once in a while. But you're you're the one calling the shots. But you got to get the players. How do you know the, whoever you hire can bring players in? You know, a lot of it is what they've done in the past and you know, their personality. For me, though, I, I recruit really hard as a head coach. Uh, some head coaches don't recruit really like that, and, you know, they really need guys to come in here and, and deliver them some guys and, you know, tell them who to look at and things like that. We don't really do it that way. So what I look for in an assistant, you know, we wanted to, I wanted to hire somebody that was young and hungry in this position here and, you know, really organized and put together and well-rounded. And that's what he is. He's a great recruiter, um, but also he brings value in so many other ways. Um, and we, 
we kind of recruit together. You know, that's one of the things in that position too is is they're kind of right with me, you know, kind of leading the way recruiting. And um, I think he's going to be great at that. He signed some really good players at Southeastern Louisiana. Um, they've been really good. You know, they've elevated that program since they've been there, especially the last couple of years. So I'm excited. I'm excited. And he's got youthful energy. You know, I, we need we needed that. You know, I turned 40 in January, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that 20. You know, I started in Division One basketball. I was 25 years old as an assistant with Coach Ellis at Coastal Carolina 15 years ago. So we need a little youthful energy in here. I'm excited about having. So if you're going to be 40, what? I guess that makes Jess probably 32, 33. Is that what? Is that is that is that is that what we're telling people? Because there's she no way she's 40. So yeah, okay. She's still 28. So yeah, okay. That's where she's at right now. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I know one thing. She, um, she's aging a heck of a lot better than I am. I, I, look, I look like I look like I'm about 15 years older than her. Probably she's um, she stayed she stayed she stayed young and beautiful, and the guy she married kind of kind of getting rougher by the day. So I feel sorry for her sometimes, but she's still sticking with me. So I so I've got that going for me. Richie Riley joining South Alabama's basketball coach. You still got a few years to go. I, I would say that you're you're right about LeBron's age now. You think he should retire or what? <laughs> There's zero chance my guy's retiring. He through all these years. This is twentieth year. He's learned how to navigate that media as good as as good as there is. Instead of getting instead of getting absolutely bombarded by the media about getting swept by the Nuggets. Now everybody's talking about him retiring, you know, and he, he knew that. He threw that out there. There's zero chance that dude retires, especially without a farewell tour. He's going he's gonna to want that. You know, he's going he's gonna to have his farewell tour. So when he does decide to retire, he's going to let us all know before the season so we can all give him his flowers on his way out. All right, so while we're talking NBA, man, we're talking about this uh, today. Celtics heat. I said before yesterday, uh, last night's game, like just let's just get it over with, man. Uh, put it to sleep. Let's just move on. Would you have rather seen Miami just kind of end it and, and put Miami out of its misery, or, or put Boston out of their misery, or do you want to see? Do you want to see one more game? Do you want? Do you want to fill the days before the NBA Finals with as much basketball as possible, or do you just want to get on with it? After last night, I, I'm, they've drawn me back in. Okay. I was with you before the game. I was hoping it would just close. And, you know, I, I would like to see a Miami-Denver final. I think it would be it's not going to be intriguing to the general public or a, or a part-time basketball fan because they don't really want to see that. But it's going to be incredible basketball. If you love hoops, then it's, it's a, it'll be a great final series if it happens. But the Celtics drew me back in, man, because you go to Boston off a win. I think they could win game two, and then you come back to Miami. And if you come back to Miami in game six, three, two, then I think we're essentially – that's like a game seven. Because um, I, I don't – if Boston somehow won three straight and they got back to Boston, I think you could do it. Now, do I think it's going to get to that? Probably not. But it is intriguing to watch to see if it, to see if it does. Are you disappointed – 
in what has happened in the the finals, the sweep of the Lakers, and and the way the Miami Boston series almost we've never had a double sweep like this, and it came close, but of course Boston staved off elimination. But as a basketball fan and a junkie, and, and as far as watching the games, you kind of disappointed, or are you okay with it? I'm extremely disappointed. <laughs> I, no, 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 just being honest, I'm extremely disappointed. I was excited about both series. I thought they would be really good, like long, grueling series, great hoops. And, you know, I, I but Denver, I give them credit, man. I, I actually thought this was going to be LeBron's year as the playoffs were going to sneak in and, and steal him one more title. But Denver just manhandled them. And, you know, not only Jokic and Murray, they were special, but their role guys – Gordon, KCP, Brown, um, golly, they played. They played in. They were as good as they could be. If they play like that in the finals, they're going to win it. And um, they're they're just really good. And they were better than the Lakers. They were better than the Lakers. The Lakers didn't show up. Took a ton of bad shots. And Denver makes you pay, man. They just don't beat themselves. And they really play well together. Um, and then the other series was surprising too. I, I thought Boston would would probably win in you know six or seven, and the Heat are kind of the same way. They got a bunch of tough guys that have had to make their way into the league by by going out and proving they were good enough versus having everything handed to them. And they play like that. They play with a chip on their shoulder. And uh, so it's it's setting up to be a good finals. But yeah, I'm definitely disappointed in. And not not more hoops, and then not a ton of interest because both those teams have kind of got smacked. Uh, you know, we often uh, we often you mentioned your 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 old age of thirty nine. Um, we always no, talk I'm about forty. I'm oh, 40. you made forty. I'm a man. I'm, a man. I'm forty. Oh, okay, I'm I thought you were turning forty this <laughs> January. Okay, I misunderstood. So, uh, so what's it say that your son not only didn't shoot shoot your age, he shot one under your age. He did from the women's tees at the crossings, man. Think about that. Nine years old from the women's tees at the crossings. He shot 39 yeah. in tournament play. Is in like, in like old dad and son going out and hitting some balls and playing nine hole rounds uh, in tournament play. And I, I'm proud of him, man. He's getting so much better. You know, it's, it's just an amazing thing as, as a father to see his son be so passionate about something and work so hard at it and then for the work to pay off and he just keeps getting better and better it's exciting and then rock is rock's gonna play in his first tournament june one um and he's six so he'll be the youngest the youngest by far in the tournament he's really hitting the ball good right now so we're trying to build a ball family of golf yeah like just yeah just just like that man i'm gonna start i'm gonna start my own because we got rush man he's coming up he's swinging the club at two so that's what we're trying to do did you did even you... though even though jess jess prefers the hoops yeah and and all our guys still hoop too but uh golf is kind of becoming becoming our passion richie are we, were you into golf coming through the ranks i know basketball has been your passion and everything and for your sons to basically gravitate to golf did this come from you at all or Another member of the family, or just what? 
I think watching golf, I, I, I've always loved golf. It's been like outside of basketball, probably college football, golf is is what, you know, that and college football are kind of like 1A, I mean 2A and 2B. I When I was growing up, you had to have a lot of money to play. You know, like I lived in a small town and we had a country club and obviously my family couldn't afford to be a member of a country club. So there wasn't anywhere to really play any golf and I didn't have anybody to get me involved in it, but I always watched it. And then when I got to you know, tw- mid twenties, early twenties, I started playing some and I went through a time where I played a lot. So I love golf. I love it. Passionate about it. We watch every single thing that has to do with golf. Um, me and Reese and rock, and, you know, but it's really cool that that Reese first, he started just picking up doing it. I've told her story on here before, just doing it. And then he became kind of obsessed with it. I mean, he's seven days a week, just grinding every day. And then Rock saw him do it. So Rock kind of started doing it. And now he's playing more. And I'm sure Rush will probably be the same. But yeah, they're still going to hoop and they're still going to, like, we're playing flag football. And, you know, it's, but. You know, Reese is nine now, and, you know, he's as driven of a nine-year-old as I, I, mean, I couldn't imagine. And, he, you know, he he wants it really bad. I hope that never changes because to be passionate about something, man, and work at something and learn to work and learn to care, it usually translates into real life and help you be successful um, with whatever you do. Well, I noticed also that Rock was, well, rocking the, the cap and gown here recently. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not telling you you don't know, but that'll hit a little different when when they get through high school now. I'm just, I'm just, just. I was just talking. Yeah. I was just talking to your guy yesterday in the office about, about graduate. Yeah. And uh, he, I'd seen him on his graduation day and he was telling me the rules, man. And I said, your dad's not going to adhere to those rules because you're not allowed to yell or something. He said, right, he was right. telling me all about it. Yeah. And I was like, your dad doesn't care about that, dude. Like he's, he's going to yell. Did the question is, did you yell and break the rules of graduation when they called his name? Did you? I can, I can neither confirm nor deny reports. Uh, I will say that the CEO of my company ma- made sure that all uh, rules and regulations were followed uh, to the point where there was no prosecution. How about that? No air horn? <laughs> <laughs> she, 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 she must have had, she must have had a, a, yeah. a complete mouth guard on you. <laughs> she, 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 she had you under control because I know – that you would have you would have let out a loud roar, yeah. an air horn, something. Your time is coming. You got a few years still. You, you got a few years, but uh, your time is coming. Thank and, you, thank and yeah, and we'll uh, and we will make sure that uh, we ask the proper questions at, at that time. <laughs> hey man, we I'm breaking the rules of mine. Go yeah. All right, all right. Uh, from from his from his lips to God's ears. Here we go. Write it down, folks. Mark it down, Lee. In what is it going to be like in uh in eleven years? I will no, be here. It'll be nine years. In nine years, Lee's going to ask you about that. Okay, you're going to come on our show, and he's going to ask you about that. At the age of eighty-two, I'm going to be asking him what. Yes. Now? Yeah. Well, if you can't remember, wow, you're remember. definitely not going to remember when you're no, eighty-two. I'm exactly not. Same, same day, same time. We'll make it happen. Yep. Hey, man, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for the time. 
All right, guys, enjoy it. Yep, that's Richie Riley. I was curious about that. Was there a lot of noise or air horns? Actually, or no, there wasn't. Oh, that, um, oh, good, good, good. Uh, that, that's not always the case with yeah. uh, a lot of folks. Uh, for ours, um, they made it a point to make sure they curb that kind of stuff. Whatever. One final segment of the day. Uh, you guys can jump in at uh, 694-1055. Uh, it's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station, WNSP. Hi, everybody. Jennifer Hale here from the NFL on Fox. And you're listening to 105.5 WNSP in Mobile. can jump in 694-1055 is the number uh i want to thank richie riley uh and of course all the fine folks who joined us here on the show today including uh john garcia dale osborne jake pv chris stewart and of course uh richie riley a reminder you can um you can uh, always download the sound of mobile app to hear us uh wherever you are and uh you can always find us where you find your favorite podcast and play us back to your heart's delight you know, one story we, we actually touched on with John Garcia, but we haven't really updated. That's Tony Mitchell. That's the Alabama incoming freshman who was stopped on a marijuana possession mark. And I think you, you pointed out, and it's today, he's supposed to plead no contest. And yesterday, Nick Saban was asked about him at the uh, Nick's uh, Foundation and basically said, I can't comment on that. They'll just have to wait to see how the process is. I don't have anything to say about it. I don't know if he'll have anything to say about it next week, but Mitchell reportedly will get just probation, and after that's a, uh, a no, uh, no contest uh, plea coming up today in Florida for the marijuana position. All right, let's grab a quick phone call here, uh, 694-1055. Go ahead, caller. Welcome to WNSP. Hey, Mark, I have a quick question. I know you're about to get out the air. That's all right. Flopping, flopping, flopping in yeah. the NBA. Yeah. What's your opinion? What are your thoughts on LeBron James and his flopping? I hate it. I don't like it. Uh, I think it detracts from the legacy that he has left. I think most people that have an issue uh, with LeBron point to that kind of stuff. The overreacting, the the dramatic, I got hit, I'm falling down, I'm going to stay down there for an extra, just get up. I mean, are you hurt or are you injured or are you playing for the cameras? I think that takes away from all the all the goodwill and all the good things that he does. I think the haters have the ammunition. I wish I wish it would stop. I don't like flopping. Uh, I don't like the way NBA players initiate contact and try to get the other team in foul trouble. I know it's a part of their strategy. I'm not a big fan. Yeah, Mark. Also, listen. Does he not know that we're sitting home and we're watching this in slow slow motion and, and replays <laughs> and we see clearly nobody's touched him? Do you think that we're stupid or do you think that the refs are stupid or the NBA is stupid? I don't. I don't think he's thinking about what you and I are doing and, and reacting to on the couch. I think he's trying. I think he's trying to. Uh, I think he's trying to draw fouls. I think he's trying to draw attention. Uh, and he's not the only one. To be fair, LeBron's not the only one. But yes, the the excessive stuff. Oh, no, he's, he's not the only one, but he's one that gets away with it more than anybody else. I mean, I mean, he just man, it's just hard to watch sometimes. Yeah. You know, like last the, uh, the other night, what he was trying to do. He was trying to get the ref to bail him out on that last play of that game. Yeah. That was his, his whole motive was to get to the hole. They'll fire me. I'll flop and they'll call. I'll make three, two free throws and go to uh, overtime. 
Yeah. No. But uh, anyway, y'all guys have a great day, man. Thank you. Thank you. And I thought the refs made the right call. I thought that, I mean, was there a little contact? Yeah, I think there was initially. But by NBA standards, I, I thought for the most part, they wound up with a, if, if with anything, uh, um, most of it was ball and then the ball and then the shot got blocked. Um, yeah, I mean, you pretty much summed up those that hate LeBron. Those are the reasons why they have problems with him. LeBron doesn't flop any more than any other player in the NBA does. Okay. It doesn't Marcus necessarily make Smart it right. is the worst flopper in the NBA. LeBron's not even the worst flopper on his team. That's Dennis Schroeder. Right? We all saw him in that game. Yes. But because our eyes are so attracted you know to LeBron. Nick, LeBron is to Nick what Alabama football and New England Patriots football is to Michael Bronner. Wow. They just defend it. But, but, yeah, but, but, but he's not even the worst. He's not even the worst on this team. You know, not. I, I'm, I'm not up back. on LeBron's flopping as much as you are. I guess maybe I don't watch enough or I don't see it. But the guy that had the biggest reputation, do you remember back when? Vladi Divac. Do you remember him? Vladi Do you remember him? He had the reputation as being the biggest flopper, and he didn't exactly oppose those who said he did it. And the reason I bring up his name, because if you remember, he was the one that the Lakers traded to Charlotte for the rights to Kobe Bryant. And that was one. That was a huge, huge deal for the Lakers. And and Vali 